Friday, January the 14th, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone is having a nice week. We have a loaded show for you. We're going to get right on into it. Tons to talk about with the NFL Divisional Playoff Round coming up. Our buddy Don Landis, he's going to join us. The Browns won last week, so he's back to talk more about the Browns. We've got NFL Saturday with Scott Shapiro. He's going to talk about the two Saturday games with us. We discuss the those two uh, Saturday playoff games. Then Eric joins us to talk NFL Sunday. So Eric discusses those two with us. We go over the stable duel schedule for the weekend. A little bit of Tampa Friday. I'm going to give you my stable duel lineup. And then a couple best plays at Tampa. Sam Houston for Friday, late pick five. Then we go to Saturday racing. Emily Gullickson joins me to talk the six stakes races from fairgrounds. Then Sam Houston, Saturday, late pick four with Jessica Paquette. And then we close it out with the Cobra Kai, kind of first watch uh, thoughts and the Shameless Season 11, Episode 4 recap. Loaded episode. Uh, A couple things to talk about, too, in the intro uh, before we get into uh, our segments. In the world of the NBA, we had a big, big trade. James Harden, the uh, disgruntled star for the Houston Rockets, he basically quit. Uh, on the Rockets the other night, they played the Lakers in back-to-back games, and I don't know if I've ever seen a star like pouting so much on the court. He wanted to go to Brooklyn, and he's going to be in Brooklyn. So this is a four-team deal where James Harden goes to the Nets. They also get a 2024 second-round pick from the Cavs. The Rockets then get Victor Oladipo, Dante Exum, and Karukas. The Rockets also get... Three unprotected first-round draft picks, 2022, 24, 26, and pick swaps in 2021, 23, 25, 27. They also get Milwaukee's 2022 first-round pick via Cleveland. The Pacers get Karis LeVert and a 2023 second-round pick, and the Cavs get Jared Allen and Torian Prince. So there's a lot going on for the most part. Harden to the Nets, Victor Oladipo, and a ton of picks to the Rockets. You get Karis LeVert to the Pacers, and Jared Allen and Torian Prince go to the Cavs. So that's that's big news. I they are a team now that's going to be able to score a ton. But how good are they going to be on the defensive side of the ball? That's what makes me a little bit nervous as a, you know, a basketball analyst just thinking about what the Nets are going to be able to put out there and then what kind of depth. Right now not knowing what's going on with Kyrie, Harden's overweight, you've got Durant who's coming off of bad injuries is this the type of team you can really count on to go seven game series seven game series seven game series seven game series and beat good teams repeatedly be consistent every single night I I don't know I'm not sure it's definitely a splashy move and it gets I mean Harden's teammates in Houston were getting pissed at him he was just playing like playing is an understatement for what he was doing and uh, it was just disrespectful to basketball. And it's funny because this has been happening now with a lot of players. It's happened with Anthony Davis to get to the Lakers. They sort of just kind of dig their feet in the ground and say, I'm done. And in the NBA, they do end up getting traded. I think there's a little too much player empowerment in the NBA versus a league like the NFL where it feels like sometimes you're trapped and you have a player like Deshaun Watson who gets stuck on a team and doesn't have any say when he's a franchise quarterback who should be a, you know, a franchise guy that you want to get behind. So maybe you could find somewhere to meet in the middle, but is Brooklyn going to be a, a top-tier team in the East now? Are they better than Milwaukee? Are they better than 
Boston or the Heat, you know, some of the teams who Philly, who we pictured might be the the better teams in the East. Indy, Indy, sort of an interesting team now. So uh, yeah, big news in the NBA. A couple other uh, little tidbits before we uh, we get into start talking Browns in the NFL. There was a there were a couple uh, coaching hires. First up, Urban Meyer back. Uh, as a head coach, now he's in the NFL. He will be coaching the Jags. Urban Meyer went to bowl, went Bowling Green, to Utah, to Florida, to Ohio State. Remember, the, one of the things that concerns me about Urba, a couple different things. He has had some issues with health issues uh, multiple times in multiple different places. And, you know, a head NFL job is not an easy job. You have a lot of things going on. And the some of the the player discipline stuff. Think about a lot of the players that had uh, he'd been coaching that had some sort of arrests or run-ins with the law. It seemed like that was something that was over and over and over again. Is he going to be able to discipline a team of grown full adults? We'll see. The Jets also hire uh, their new coach, Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator from the 49ers who many were high on. I think he's going to do a good job. If he can get a nice offensive coordinator in there with him, he seems like a good a coach that a lot of people want to succeed. The players will like. He's going to be able to motivate and pump them up. He will do a great job on the defensive side of the ball. Can they get someone on the offensive side of the ball that can complement him and uh, call a, a really strong game? I think I think Saul has got an opportunity to do pretty well. Uh, I do over there. It's not an easy place to win with the Jets, but I feel like he's the type that's uh, going to overachieve a little bit. Some of the uh, the big news stories of the last few days. Now we're going to get into NFL. We're going to talk Browns with Don Landis, my buddy who was on last week. The Browns with a big upset over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Can they do it again this week? Can they beat the returning defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs? We'll find out. Let's hear what Don thinks. Well, we told you we would have him back if the Browns won. And can you freaking believe it in what was, I'm not going to say the biggest upset of the weekend, just because the Browns beating the Steelers, that's not crazy. Just the way everything happened with the Browns team coming in, missing players, missing their head coach who was in his basement watching the game at home my good friend Don Landis back to join me to talk about the Browns winning Don I mean honestly like if you were writing your own version of like the Don Landis Cleveland Browns winning the playoff movie like it it, it wouldn't even have been more far-fetched than what had happened in the first quarter of this game dude it was crazy man we were texting each other it was there's no words I was texting you that there's no words from from the Play first the game. Play the, first play of the game. I was going crazy, man. Wife came upstairs, thought something was wrong with one of the kids because I was yelling and screaming so loud. <laughs> and it just carried on. It is nonstop. It was, I mean, I can't honestly think of anything quite like this, too. And, and some of the commentators were saying it was almost like all that 20 years, the two decades of like bad luck and pent up balls bouncing the wrong way, uh, picking the wrong quarterback, making the wrong decision for a head coach. It was like it all came together and all of that energy into one quarter just punched the Steelers in the mouth. That was it. For, I mean, from the, they lost it. They were done after that first play of the game. I mean, you could tell 
they they zoomed in the big ben's face plenty and he to his demeanor was just in shock and awe i mean I, I wouldn't say the steelers quit and not at all i mean they put up a ton of offense later on in the game but i mean from his interceptions the the fumble for a touchdown i mean they couldn't stop hunt it was it was top to bottom the best game since they've been back that I've probably seen them play. Just even the way the balls bounce, right? Like typically yeah. the Browns are, are the ones getting penalties and picks and false starts. It is just ridiculous. Ridiculous. And it, you, I think you, you hit on something too, because I, I noticed the same thing when you looked at the Pittsburgh sideline, like right after that first touchdown. And it's like, oh, okay, one touchdown right into the like the beginning of the game. But it almost felt like, like coming into this game, it felt like Cleveland needed those kind of things to happen to win, right? Like you needed something kind of crazy, something to kind of go your way early to get to to get this team to rally around it. And it was almost like Pittsburgh was like, uh oh, like is this is this just not our night? Like I I could feel that too. I mean, we t- I think we talked about it last week. It was like, okay, we had a feeling they were going to come in rescue, right? So they rested yep. their guys versus the Browns. You know, so ben, Ben's pretty much off for almost three weeks. They were playing like crap the last half of the season. They squeaked out a win versus the Colts. So, I mean, it, Browns got them off guard. And, I mean, it was their worst game of the season. So, I mean, what was their first 11 games a fluke? Maybe. But they they definitely didn't do anything the last half of the season to, to justify the seed they had, the position they were in. I mean, maybe to some, it wasn't surprising. The Browns just came out and whooped our ass. And it's, it's funny to say that like one first round playoff game is that big of a deal. But as far as like the whole future of this franchise with Baker, with this nucleus, with the coaching staff, what it does is it, it like everybody believes a little bit. You believe that everything we did this year is is like we're gonna buy in. We're gonna believe. It felt like a lot more than just one playoff win. Because even if you come and get the crap kicked out of you this week against Kansas City, we'll talk about that game in a minute. This like beating, not only winning the game, but also beating Pittsburgh on top of that, and maybe like I mean maybe saying goodbye to Ben. Who knows? He probably comes back for another year or two. We'll see. But if this was it for him, or if he doesn't have a, like another good run in him, this might have been you, your team, like saying, "Hey, older brother, f you," and then like stomping on him. Like this was a lot going on in this one win. Yeah, I, the Browns, Browns might have just buried them, right? It might have flipped yeah. where they're at in the division. I mean, you got uh, Baltimore is is young, obviously with Lamar, and and their defense is always good. So, I mean, they're going to be one or two. I think the Browns will, you know, be one or two. And then Steelers are in for a steep drop-off. Ben, like you said, Ben's old. They got some free agents. I know Juju's up for a contract. Um, uh, what's their center's name? Uh, is it Pouncey? You talked Pouncey. about the end. Yep. So, I mean, they're they're getting old. They're losing guys. Browns are young. I think guys are signed for a while. I mean, they're, they're it's exciting, man. Like you said, not even just for last week. Whatever happens this week, I'm not going to count them out now. I mean, I didn't necessarily think they were going to win last week, and they, yeah. they did more than that. So it's a huge stepping stone, not only for this week, but for the future. What it did, too, last week was it showed um, a few things. Like, it checked a couple of boxes, at least for you, saying, like, okay, can Baker 
do this in a really big game that matters Not turn the ball over, play well He played damn good And then the defense was another one that was sort of Hey, we don't have the greatest defense in the world But we have some playmakers on the defensive side of the ball Can they at least make enough plays To to win games for us And I think both of those two things were were checked for sure, and even again, even if you come back this week and Baker struggles and you, you and the Chiefs score fifty with their offense, you you sort of have a circle and a template for this team moving forward. Going, I think that we have guys that we can believe in and build with. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not not even the defense winning games, almost defense not losing games for you. That's it, right? And even Baker, even Baker, because yeah, you're right. you're running game. You have such a damn good running game. Like and and so few teams have actually one thing that is as good as your running game is. So for for your team, it just has to be everything else has to just not be a negative. I mean, how good is Chubb and Hunt with a makeshift Hunt. offensive line? Unbelievable. Bill doing what they did. Baker wasn't sacked. I think Steelers had some ridiculous uh, sack streak going. I, I don't. They they had at least one sack in I don't know what it was eighty plus games that ended. I mean the. Pittsburgh's defense wasn't missing anybody, and you got some stiff that Baker met in the locker room before the game started. He said, "I didn't know his name." Backside. <laughs> he said, "I met him. I met him in the locker room before yeah. the game." Which he was... shook his hand five minutes before they went on the field and introduced himself. Between that and between the Stefanski story, talking about how when he was in the. Uh, he was in the basement and because his his son and daughter were upstairs and their TV was like 20 seconds ahead of his because of like the HD channel or whatever. Yeah, he, so he knew when the big plays were coming. He's hearing them scream every time and then he's going, uh-oh, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, shit. So that's just, I mean, I was, like I said, I sort of became like an adopted Browns fan this year because I, uh, I just as a football fan, I liked what they were doing. It was fun to see um, finally like an adult in the room with some good players and and what like one like actual adult could do for a for a team, you know, like a, like a Stefanski. And um, now let's let's move forward a little bit. Like we were sort of in the same conversation last week. We're coming into the Pittsburgh game. Now I, I'll say this. Kansas City is better for sure, but the situation Cleveland was in going into the Pittsburgh game was not good, right? right. I mean, they were just almost a, as big of an underdog as they're going to be this week. Probably a little more. There'll be a couple extra points probably against the, the Chiefs that so will close a little higher. But with the COVID issues, no head coach, you're going to get Stefanski back now. There might be another player or two back to help. And it seems like it's going to be the same exact template. You have the type of team that can hold on to the ball and try to run it and eat some clock and keep it away from him. It's just going to be, hey, can you make a play or two like you did last week? A strip sack fumble, an interception, somebody just step in the way here, or uh, a drop pass. Or, or are you going to get enough of those this week against the Chiefs in order to stay in this game? Right, that's exactly it. And So I look at this week, I think our D-line needs to step up a little bit. I know yep. they're missing Vernon. I just we didn't pressure Big Ben as much. I know I know they got the one they got picks right, but there wasn't essentially that much pressure. And he's one of the you know the leaders in the NFL of getting the ball out of his hands. So I mean that's a part of it too. But they're going to have to get at Mahomes, I think, and force him to make mistakes or like you said, Garrett coming around the corner getting a strip sack, one of those turnovers, or even I, I was talking to some other buddies. We were trying to predict the game what we needed last week, and I, I think this week too is. They, they need a special teams play. They haven't necessarily had like a big punt return 
or blocked you know, kick or something like that, yeah, or a, a block punt, something like that. That that I think would is something they could use this week. I mean, obviously last week we didn't get the special teams; just defense got massive turnovers. But they, they're definitely going to need another one of those. I mean, they should be looks to be healthy. Sans any COVID issues, getting TJ Ward back. Uh, is is huge. Um, I think Conklin's day to day, but I'm hearing he should play. Their offensive line should be whole. So, yeah, I mean, template's the same: pound the ball, don't turn it over. You know, then don't break defense and, and and see what happens. And I actually like playing Kansas City off of the bye. Like, I know Andy Reid is awesome off the bye; he's really good and stuff. But I like playing them sort of off of a couple weeks where they didn't play their like Mahomes. And if they need, like, if if it takes them a quarter or a quarter and a half to get going and you guys are able to just keep things in the game and go back and forth and slow it down and and not make it be a game where you have double digit possessions and maybe just a game where there's less drives that i feel like if they start humming this week they might be a tough team to beat next week the chiefs but you may be able to catch them a little bit this week because remember sort of like the steelers this chiefs team was winning a lot of games they didn't really look all that dominant throughout. They did not cover a ton not, of games not, in a row this four, year. Not the last four games of the year, and obviously they rested guys the last week. Mm-hmm. What they lost the Chargers, right? Yeah, and then and then so now you're talking. Mahomes hasn't played going on, you know, possibly three Sundays. So I mean, we talked about that last week with the Steelers. They rest guys. Guys come out rusty. I mean, you don't know what they're going to look like. Look at what was it Baltimore last year? Getting yeah. getting smoked coming off that bye, and they rested Lamar last week. So. You you catch those teams like that. Granted, I, I mean, Andy Reid's a hell of a coach. Super Bowl champions, they'll have them ready to go. But you, and you don't know once game starts going, what uh, what are those guys are gonna do? And I kind of like the like we've seen Cleveland. You can score like we like the Monday night Baltimore game. I, I think you would be able to score against Kansas City's defense. I feel like a, a more a, di- a more difficult team for Cleveland to play would maybe be like even like a team with an, a really, really good defense as far as um like keeping them in the game. If somebody was able to just shut your run game down or something, then you'd be in, in trouble. But as far as like staying in this game, Unless there's a a bad Browns turnover or something, there shouldn't be a reason why the Browns are going to get stopped by this defense up and down. I just don't like. Can you go, uh, you know, head to head with the way that Mahomes and them can score? But I feel like you should be able to move the ball against them pretty well, and and, and at least like th- both uh, running the ball and throwing the ball a little bit. Agree. I, I I don't see any problems with their offense. Like you said, no. I don't, I don't know if you want to get in a shootout with them. Yeah, I mean, it, and if it does like that, like the Baltimore game, like you said, they they still have a chance. Um, I mean, Lamar kind of scored on that like fifty yard run or forty yard run. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Mahomes is mobile, not as mobile. So, I mean, you're still back to your DB is going to have to do what they got to do. But, I mean, the thing I, I think that was key from last week that they can carry over into this week, getting into a possible shootout with those guys, is can they respond? Right. So the Browns go up twenty eight nothing on Pittsburgh. Let's face it, everybody in Cleveland, including myself, it could have been 50 to nothing. Nobody was comfortable that that game was over. I think I saw something from the Onion that said the Browns fans are still expecting to lose to the Pittsburgh Steelers (laughs) right now. Nothing nothing was over until the end of the game. So, I mean, towards the end of the first half, Pittsburgh scored, and the Browns came down and responded with a touchdown, right? So they, they let up a little bit, and then they came back and punched them right back in the mouth. 
second half, uh, Pittsburgh cut it to 12. You know, what, what exactly what's going through my head is what is unfolding. Here comes Pittsburgh. What did the Browns do? They came back down and scored and punched back in the mouth. So if they got that confidence where they're, they're not rattled, where, hey, you know, face a little adversity, we could still do what we got to do with the Chiefs, you know, say they get down by 14, come back and score. You're in it, make a one-possession game. Game's not over. Anything could happen. So I, I think if they can do that, they'll be all right. I like the way I just I like the way they feel coming into this game. You know, like like from a confidence standpoint, it just feels like you're like you're playing with house money again. Almost like like getting into the playoffs for this team felt like the thing to get the monkey off the back. And now it's just like, oh hey, we're we're a pretty good football team. Let's just relax and play some football here, and and we're not going to embarrass ourselves because we have some actual talent on this team. Yeah, I definitely a confidence builder. I mean, what what do they need? They, I mean, they're not. I, I don't think they're cocky. I don't know how. No, no, it's. It's not a cocky thing. It's just yeah, like a. I, but they, but they're aware now. Like they're Juju Browns is Browns, but they're not. <laughs> they can go toe to toe with anybody, man. I don't. I don't think they're, you know, not necessarily afraid. I don't think those guys get afraid to play anybody. But they're confident in in a game plan that who we play next week doesn't matter. We're gonna go out there and we got a chance to win football games. Let's talk for a minute or two uh, about the the sad portion of your fandom over the last week or two. But I mean, honestly, we were speaking about it a little bit before we started recording, and we were texting back and forth through the game uh, the other night. You are an Ohio State fan; they got beat up by Bama, and it was going back and forth early. and And Ohio State actually got that turnover, but it just as soon as you had to turn into a game where you couldn't score a touchdown and had to kick a field goal, it was over. And it, it you know, if you're gonna lose, like. I, I actually would rather get my ass kicked when I lose than have like a really bad beat that I'm going to be like not able to sleep over for weeks. Yeah, I mean, I was disappointed. I mean, especially everybody was still on a high from Sunday. Right. Like, yeah. it, it, was, it was coming off those emotions from Sunday, trying to just deal with it Monday and face reality like, hey, the Browns won. Oh, shit. We still got Ohio State National Championship <laughs> in a couple yeah, hours. Yeah. Got to get pumped back up for that. I mean, it, it was exciting in the first quarter. They kept up, and then Sermon going down, I think, it, it did hurt. But I don't think overall anything would have changed. I mean, Master Teague's capable running back. who's was a starting running back at the beginning of the year. Um, it's, Alabama's so good. If they're trying so to reflect on it, just they're ridiculous at every position. The only thing I wish Ohio State would have done different, or I don't even know what they planned for is – I just I don't understand why there wasn't a guy on Devontae Smith or two, time. like two on him. Yeah, and just make a like everybody. They like you said they're deep at other positions, they're deep at other spots, but like make the other guys make great plays on a big stage like that against a good Ohio State team. But I just don't think anybody was beating them this year. I mean, we saw it. Like they, you, you and and Clemson were like the second and third best teams, and and. And like Notre Dame was a good team this year too, and they kicked the crap out of them. Like you yeah. guys were the two, three, four teams, and they blasted you. Like you know, yeah. Clemson plays Alabama. I don't think the results much different. No, they're they're that that good this year at every every position. They're loaded. I just, but uh, it, it defensively was was bad. I I mean I thought we had a shot. Obviously as a fan, you, you're, I'm, I'm realistic. I thought the spread was a little high. I kind of went back there watching some pregame stuff on how Florida, you know, kept up with them and scored. And I thought our offense was is better than Florida. So I thought we'd be in the game the whole time. But just they were 
well-oiled machine. Just everything they did was right. I mean, Ohio State had some questionable offensive calls, play calls, but end of the day, Alabama's superior team by far. Just kicked the crap out of everyone this year, including a really good Ohio State team. But uh, hey, you're uh, like you said, you're playing with some house money here. It's all icing on the cake right now for Don Landis as the Browns. They are uh, they're one of the final eight teams, and with a win here, they would be in the conference finals. And it's it's crazy as it sounds. It wouldn't be the, the biggest surprise Like if, if if for some reason The Browns just ran the ball really really well And they win like a 27-24 Game where you know KC just can't quite Get on track early because they're A little off like I can see it in my head Doesn't mean it's going to happen no but we talked ourselves Into the way the Browns were going to win Last week and it's pretty much what happened They needed some defensive They needed some defensive help they needed one or two things Early to go their way and they needed Pittsburgh to not really be as good as we thought Pittsburgh like most of the year Wasn't that good you know and Kansas City The same team they're they have a great Quarterback and they won but they haven't Scared the hell out of me as a team That's just going to wipe the mat with whoever They face maybe they turn the, the, the switch On come playoff time Don but I don't know it, it, I'm rooting for your brownies again This weekend man and again if it, if we get An upset you know you're going to be back here next week Midweek to be talking on that's what she said I hope so man if I'm back next week talking About AFC championship it's This place the city is going to go absolute, absolute crazy, man. As it was already nuts after just one win. I mean, can you imagine beating the Chiefs and then getting ready to play? I mean, especially if it was again. We're looking ahead. Still got to win Sunday, but can you imagine if the Browns Baltimore playing to go to the Super Bowl? That would be a blast. That would be such a blast. And hey, I mean, I like the everybody who's left right now. It's a good field this year in the playoffs. It really is, even with the expanded field. And we're gonna have another fun weekend coming up with games on Saturday and on Sunday. And we hope we'll have you back next week if the Browns can uh, upset the reigning Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Don Landis, one of my all-time good buddies. I was very happy for your Browns last week, man. And uh, I would, uh, I'll be yelling and screaming for Stephanie's laughing because she's like watching. She's like, you care more about the Browns games than the Rams and stuff. And you know the games. And I was laughing. I was like, I just feel like you know I get excited for them winning now. So uh, let's. Let's go Brownies this weekend. Hell yeah, go Brownies, baby. We'll talk to you next week. Let's do it. Don Landis, folks. You heard him last week. We're going to try to get that luck one more time this week, and uh, we'll be back in just a minute on That's What She Said. Big thanks to Don for joining us again to talk Browns. We uh, wish them the best of luck, man. They got a big week coming up, but already a great year for Cleveland and for their, uh, for their fans. Before we move in and start talking about the Saturday NFL games with Scott Shapiro, I want to talk a little bit about Thrive Fantasy right now. Thrive Fantasy is a DFS app for prop betting. They have a huge contest this weekend over ten with over 10,000 in prizes for the NFL Divisional Round. There's also contests for all the other sports going on. Um, L, uh, League of Legends, you've got PGA back, uh, NBA contest, different tournaments. So this weekend, if... You go and download the Thrive Fantasy app. It's going to be a $10,000 guaranteed divisional round contest. You pick your side of the props for all the players involved. When you download, use the promo code GINO when you sign up and when you deposit. You'll get an instant deposit match up to 50 bucks. Anything between 20 and 50, promo code GINO gets you an instant bonus credit. Not something that you have to bet a few to unlock. You'll get it right away, right in your account. You'll have that money to play with. Thrive Fantasy, promo code GINO, download at least 20 and up to 50. You'll get that instant bonus credit. 
Moving along to Saturday NFL, Scott Shapiro joins us to talk the two Saturday games. We're going to talk about the Rams. They have an opportunity to go and upset the Packers on the road uh, with a game that's going to be very cold. And then the very intriguing Saturday night game between the Ravens and the Bills. Scott Shap talking NFL Saturday. We are here. It is the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. And uh, every year, this is generally thought of as one of the best weekends in in sports and usually the best football weekend. Uh, joining us to talk about the Saturday games, we are down to eight teams, four games, uh, four games, four teams in each side on the ASC and the NFC side. And uh, he's been with us all throughout the season, preseason previews, uh, probably four or five times uh, talking each week. And now we've got the good stuff to discuss. But I got to say, as our, our buddy Scott Shapiro from Twin Spires uh, joins us, uh, you see him all over the place, Churchill Downs, uh, Bet America, and they have had some news recently as they've uh, sort of merged and, be- and everything's under the new name. We'll talk about that real quick with Scott too. But Scott Shapiro, I got to say, um, the the super wild card week as they were calling it last week, I thought was was pretty good. A couple games that were and eh, but the format and the setup of having like three games, one basically after the next throughout the day, was a pretty good setup for Saturday Sunday. Yes, Gino, good to be back with you. Excited for the upcoming weekend, and uh, I have to say when they announced the extra playoff team. I was a little bit dubious of uh, adding a seventh team, you know, watering down the regular season a little bit. And um, I think in one case, you could definitely make the argument that it, it it allowed a team into the playoffs that wasn't quite a playoff team, you could argue, in the Chicago Bears. But I'm willing to do that to allow a team like the Indianapolis Colts to get in, who yep. clearly were a playoff team. And if they were in the other conference... I mean, one could argue they might they had a shot to, to make the Super Bowl, let alone be in the playoffs. So I thought that was good. I mean, three games a day. I get very emotionally tied up in these things, as I know you do as well. It was mm-hmm. it was exhausting. Monday morning was was <laughs> Oh yeah. I, I, I felt like I partied on Sunday. It's like I, you went on I vacation did. almost, right? Like you feel yeah. like you're just like, What the heck? Like it's it's long yeah. and it's yeah. different than than a normal like Sunday where you're paying attention to everything. Right? right, but like for me at least, like I'm I'm taking notes and stuff a lot on Sunday and watching, but I do a lot of my work going back after Sunday, I, going back and rewatching or rereading, going through articles Monday, Tuesday and stuff. This is the, when there's the one game on, you're definitely focused all the way through on that game, then the next game, and then the next game. And uh, y- you know, you were talking a little bit about the Colts that um will will sort of lead us in into Saturday because our two Saturday games we've got the Packers Rams and then we've got the Bills versus the Ravens and um the the Bills were able to beat the Colts there but I, I thought that was actually a tough matchup for them they're one of the hotter teams and that to me I think is probably the most interesting game that Bills Ravens game that we're going to get to uh, in just a second but let's start with the early Saturday game so We've got the Packers who are coming off of their bye. They are, it looks like a six and a half point favorite or so right now. This thing's been back and forth between seven, now back to six and a half. Uh, they're the six and a half point favorite at home against the Rams. Over under in this game, 45 and a half. Packers are 13 and three straight up, 10 and six against the spread. The Rams, after their win last week, now are now 11 and six straight up, 10 and seven against the spread. Looks like it's going to be in the low 30 degrees or so here. And for this game in particular, we have to monitor some of the major 
injury issues here. Donald looks like he's going to play. Cooper Cup looks like he's going to play. I can't imagine either of them, unless something crazy happens in the next few days, they're going to at least try to play. We don't know how impactful they will be if they're banged up, but I'd imagine they're going to do their best to get in the game. And then we don't know what's going to happen with the the golf Wolford. I mean, I just imagine seeing what happened last week. They they're probably going to go back to golf. Yeah, I think uh, I, I like to follow. I'll give a shout out to at Pro Football Doc Doctor Chow does a yep. real good job. Um, uh, he he seems to think uh, the arrow pointing down on Walford, the arrow pointing up on Goff, and he he gets more m- many more right than he does wrong. So combine that with the fact that Goff got it done, he's kind of the guy. I know that Sean McVay would probably prefer to have a quarterback more mobile than Goff, but uh, I think it'll probably be Goff and. Like you said, I expect Donald and Cup to give it a go, and I'd be very surprised if if they weren't uh, in the lineup. But I expect Donald to be effective as well. Some of the fun underlying stories uh, in in this one, you've got uh, McVay versus Lafleur, both who were Washington assistants. Lafleur was the Rams uh, OC under McVay back in 2017. You got a couple Cal QBs going at it with uh, with Rogers and Goff here. The Packers have won six in a row, and Rodgers is coming off of a pretty phenomenal year Where a lot of folks the last couple years thought he, thought he was starting to trend downwards He had 48 touchdowns 5 interceptions A 70% Almost a 71% completion percentage And he's going to win the MVP And He's 10-8 and 8 overall In the playoffs now And you know I just don't I never have been able to get a, a good feel For this like LaFleur Packers team They're very good I just don't know how good defensively. I don't know how good, and these are the games I like. I scratch my head about because I don't know how good this Packers team was last year. But it's sort of the same kind of thing that happened for them last year. They got a pretty soft opponent in a conference semifinal game. They had to win one game to get to a conference final, and they got the crap kicked out of them by San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, I mean they haven't uh, exactly played murderers row, especially of defenses too down the stretch. They've mm-hmm. been very, very good and. Rodgers has been great no matter no matter yep. who they're playing you can just the eye test tells you that Aaron Rodgers is, has been back to his uh top form some have argued this has been his best season ever definitely one of them and I give him a lot of respect because he really only has one real good option to go to that's Devontae Adams he's got you know other guys Lazard Valdez Scantling Robert he's Tunney. made those guys though yeah yeah exactly so I question um you know, A, I think that the you know the way the Packers will play and the way Rodgers plays, they'll take their shots, but I don't expect them – I expect them to manage the game. I expect them, to, as always, to try to run the ball. But I don't know how well they match up against this Rams defense that had, was good during the first half of the year, Gino, but they have been awesome over the second half of the year. They definitely have two of the best defensive players in the game in Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, but it's more than that at this point. I mean, they have – Darius Williams made just an awesome play last week to uh, turn that game and, and, and pretty much tilt it towards the Rams with the INT on the screen pass from Russell to DK Metcalf. But but they're just so well coached. I mean, Brandon Staley's only been coaching in the NFL for a little while at this point, but he's a hot candidate like Joe Brady. These Where did it come from, up. too? They yeah. were a sieve last year on defense. I mean, they were yeah. terrible defensively last year. I mean, just brutal and and just to piggyback your point you know when we use the uh the dvoa metrics a lot of times the the weighted dvoa is great because it 
it leans and it puts more importance on the end of the season just so you can get an idea like the second half of the year of who's really playing well and the Rams were number 1 in defensive weighted DVOA they were number 4 in pass DVOA and number 3 in rush DVOA so i mean just no really no weaknesses and it, it, you'd have to imagine you, you could do something like Jalen Ramsey on DeVonte Adams for at least some of the time you've got a cool matchup because that's pro football Focused highest graded receiver Versus Jalen Ramsey who's given up A league best only 20.6 Yards per game in Coverage that's a phenomenal matchup There maybe between the number one receiver And one of the best defensive players in the league No doubt about it And it'll be interesting to see how much Staley has Ramsey travel with Adams Mm -hmm. whether it's the whole game, whether he decides to double team him a lot of the time and let Ramsey do some other things. But no matter no matter how you look at it, the Packers don't have David Bakhtiari, their tackle, who is out. Um, I, I think the Rams are able to at least stay in this game with defense. Um, you know, it was amazing. What was most impressive to me last week was, you know, I, I was on the Rams and under, one which hit and one which I think should have hit. But anyway... Um, when Donald came out of the game, I was definitely concerned that the tides would turn, you know, being out of the game, their best player in the league, and it wasn't. I mean, they had guys stepping up, and so I much did. of this is just being well-coached um, and just, you know, being co- having these players, you know, overachieve because of the coaching. And I just think that the Ram- the pa- I don't see the Rams scoring a lot, so I don't see the Packers getting away from their running game. I see them sticking with it because they know they probably need to, or Rodgers will be running for his life with that defensive front. So to me, this is a game that's going to be a, a low scoring, and I'm sure you're going to want to talk about the Rams side of the ball and offense, but I just don't see the Packers putting up the amount of points that they did against some of the weaker opposition that they faced down the stretch. Yeah, and keep in mind too, just, you know, we're talking about the Rams doing this defensively against Russell Wilson, not some slouch at quarterback, someone who can ap- absolutely make plays and someone who you think of in that top five quarterback tier along with Rodgers. He was he was 11 for 27 last week. They held Seattle to 278 total yards, only 11 first downs. They sacked him five times. They created two turnovers. They won the time of possession battle 33-39 to 26-21. Uh, but like you said, they... And it was a perfect template for the Rams because bringing Goff in, uh, a banged up Goff. And I, I was a little nervous for McVay when Wolfer got hurt and they bring in Goff and it's like, uh oh, who's next? Like, there's no board. There's, you don't have a third yeah, right now. They might that have mismanaged been, the situation that, a little, and, and not having Bortles there. Exactly. You know? So at, at least yeah. this week they've got that, that. Bortles will be there and will have a little bit of an extra uh, stop gap if something were to happen because Goff was only nine for 19 for 155 yards. He had a couple throws that were, uh oh, like, is this going to happen? Then he did lock down. He settled down. He actually made a few okay throws and they, mm-hmm. they didn't ask him to do a whole lot because they were just giving the ball to Cam Akers. 28 carries, 131 yards and a touchdown. 4.7 yards per rush. He had two receptions for 45 yards. In the running game, he had four missed tackles, and he had more than three yards per uh, after contact per rush, which is incredible. And then on the defensive side of the ball, too, the Rams, in the first three quarters, they uh, Seattle had 0.78 expected points added per pass, which, just to give you an idea of, of what that stat is, it was the fifth worst mark for any team in any game this year. Any game, any bad team with like bad offenses, that Seattle was that bad, and and the Rams D was that good this past weekend. So, 
I mean, seven is feels like the number for me, Scott. Like if I six still is fine, it still still feels kind of high in a game I think is going to be low scoring. But if you got the seven earlier, or if the seven show back up again, um, to me that's that's definitely a number where I'd go in on the Rams. Yeah, it it's not a situation where laying points, laying a touchdown or more is is exciting because you just the Rams defense has been I don't want to say historically good, but really the second half of the year they've been close to that, you know. Yep. Um so laying points. However, when you look at the Rams, I know the Packers defense has not been great at all, especially against the run, so I would suspect the Cam Akers um and crew, I mean, Malcolm Brown will have some success running the football. Um, but the way Goff, the way this offense has worked, they've, they've struggled to make explosive plays through the passing game. I think, you know, the Packers, Jair Alexander, they have a pretty good secondary overall. I expect them to, to be able to avoid giving up big plays to the Rams. So they'll probably be able to stack an extra guy in the box on most plays. This is a game where I really don't have that much interest in the in the uh, in the outright spread market, but I do. My best bet of the week is the under in this game. It opened at forty seven. It's down to forty five and a half. I don't see any. Like last week, I said the same thing. This is one's a little higher, and you're dealing with Aaron Rodgers. But I just don't see any way this game goes over without defensive and special teams, you know, plays. You know, either leading to touchdown, leading to direct touchdowns, or setting up the opponent. I just I guess the only other way I could see it is if for somehow the Packers, you know, make a couple big plays in the passing game, jump up 17-0, and then the Rams have to to get, kind of get out of what they want to do, which is I assume McVay's going to burn the run the clock, take the take the, the uh, play clock down to under 5 as much as possible, run the ball and then use the short and intermediate play action passing game. Yeah, and with the weather and I and I just don't know if that's going to be the Packers like I don't know if they're going to be Trying to, to hey let's run it up on this team And go up and down the field I think they're going to try to play This a little bit closer to the vest exactly. With, with yep. a good defense you're playing right. against If that kind of weather it's like hey We don't want to we don't want to put them in a situation Where they're, we're giving them free scores They've been really like efficient And very smart about the way they move The ball all year I wouldn't expect Them to be a whole lot different here the Packers So yeah I agree with you I just don't think we're going to See up and down I think both teams are going to try to Take the air out of the ball a little bit longer Drives and um I, I would lean under also and, and keep an eye on the number You know when you're around that six six and a half and Anytime you can get the best version of the number You want for your uh, your side Make sure to, to search, search it out and to seek It out um, Yeah that's your, your first opening Saturday game And we've got a, another Saturday game Scott the second one and what's interesting About both the Saturday games is it looks like These are the two that both might have The weather as a, as some sort of An issue Saturday in my opinion, this this game is just the most intriguing. We've got the Bills versus the the Ravens here. It's a the Bills as a two and a half point favorite against the Ravens. The total in this game is fifty. Bills are fourteen and three now, straight up eleven and six against the spread. Ra- uh, Ravens are twelve and five, straight up eleven and six against the spread. There is a fifty percent chance of snow. The weather should be in the low to mid thirties. A ten to twenty mile per hour winds possible. And uh, it's funny, Lamar Jackson said. If it snows, that's definitely the first time I'll ever be playing football in the snow. So, um, just something to keep an eye on. These teams are um are are just so intriguing to me too. They're both teams that have huge ceilings, but we we saw with the Colts last week and the the Ravens both in tight games. They're not unbeatable teams. They definitely have their flaws. Um, uh, 
But I'm just I'm fascinated by these two teams and these two quarterbacks and and how this game is going to set up. So Bills Ravens, what are some of your early thoughts? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. This is the game I'm most looking forward to. Just from the you know a fan watching it perspective, I think uh, you have two of the uh, quarterbacks from that same class, uh, Lamar getting both guys actually getting over the hump last week with their first playoff win. Lamar is a little more under the spotlight after that uh, upset win against Tennessee. And I guess what I'm most interested by, you know, we knew how t- we knew Tennessee knew this Ravens offense. They played them. That was the third time they've played them dating back to the wild card game or the divisional round game last year. So they had a good idea how to stop them. They, they have Tennessee didn't really have a very good year on defense to say the least, but they do, they were kind of set up. They have speed to kind of make things rough on Lamar. So it'll be interesting to see if the bills defense, the bills, one of the best coach teams in the NFL, but they did not look good at all on defense last week against the Colts. Can they figure out how to contain Lamar Jackson Jake, um, J.K. Dobbins and that Ravens rushing attack because if they if they can at all, um, I think they should find a way to win this game. But that's a big if based on their talent and based on the fact that they uh, they played them last year earlier in the year, but uh, that was a long time ago in football terms. So yeah, that's what the, the I'm Bills looking- were different then. Yeah, they, they were a lot different than they are now. They um, you know, it's funny. I sort of feel the same. I think both of these teams are going to be a little more loose this week. I feel like getting that first win of the playoffs last week was probably there were probably a little anxiety for both of them with their history with uh, and the way the Bills choked last year and the way Josh Allen looked and then all of Lamar's stuff over the last year and a half can he win a big game I think they're both going to be a little bit more just calm coming into this game not feeling like the weight of the world on their shoulders like we have to win this game because at least they got one so I think they're both going to play pretty well because I mean last week they. The Bills were a little tight. They were just two for nine on third mm-hmm. down. Indy was nine for 17. Indy had 76 total plays to the Bills, 58. The Colts had more total yards, but they were just two for five in the red zone. That was really the difference in the game. They Colts won the time of possession, 34-17 to 25-43. The, the Bills D gave up 163 yards rushing, 5.4 yards per rush against a really good rush defense. We'll see what that will be like because they were on the bottom half of rushing yards Given up to the quarterback I think they were 12 from the bottom Another thing that the Bills struggled a little bit with And they did last week Was uh, the the tight end You know they gave up uh, Defending the tight end They gave up 14 receptions And 136 yards to Colts tight ends last week This could be a big Mark Andrews game If you're someone playing in DFS Or some sort of fantasy playoff stuff This weekend um, And uh, Zach Moss now out So it will be a lot more Devin Singletary. Another fascinating thing with both of these two teams, they ran the ball a lot, but uh, or they run the ball a decent amount. Buffalo not nearly as much, but last week all, all of their running really was with the running backs. Uh, Josh Allen had 11 carries. It, Lamar had 16 carries here. So you got two rushing quarterbacks, two up-and-coming uh, QBs. The Bills have won seven in a row. The Ravens have won six in a row. Um, there's just a lot of stuff to sink your teeth into with this game. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm curious, you know, I kind of heard a lot of the mainstream media talk about how Lamar Jackson proved, you know, played well with his arm last week. Um, He was was ranked, just to give you an idea, uh, like the football outsiders will rank everybody individually, and they did them all last week. He was ranked 11 out of the 12 quarterbacks as far as uh, throwing is concerned, so I'm with you. I mean, if throwing those those intermediate and short passes to Marquise Brown— 
you know, Hollywood Brown are, are what they were talking about. I mean, I would hope every NFL quarterback in the playoffs can make those throws. I, I don't see it like that was especially Tennessee. in the snow. Yeah, it's terrible. You know, it's it's been a, it's it's a little bit bumpy for me to critique Lamar Jackson, especially where I live, where he's the the, the chosen one, and, and I, I, I and I love watching him play. And and if you have if you play fantasy football, he's a total weapon, just like Josh Allen, because the reason you mentioned you get the rushing yards, you know, the rushing touchdowns are worth more. I don't trust Lamar Jackson to win and win a game like this with his arm. I don't care what anyone is telling me, you know. He he may be he may have matured mentally in managing a game, but I still do not see him, you know, uh, winning games with his arm. But, you know, the Ravens have a better defense. They kind of they kind of underwhelmed throughout the year after being a real dominant group last year. They 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 had a couple key losses on defense, but they played really well in that Tennessee game. That Tennessee defense offense, you know, it's one thing to 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 kind of committed to stop Derrick Henry, which you expected. But then it looked early on like, you know, Tennessee was going to be able to take advantage on the outside, especially with A.J. Brown. They have a very they had a very efficient passing game this year, but but they really locked down on them. So if they can if I think for Baltimore to win this game, they're going to have to play well on defense. Um, yeah, and, and they might because, you know, just to piggyback your point a little bit, this is the is probably the the healthiest this mm-hmm. defense has been all year. This whole team has been. They've gotten Nagakwe, Smith, and Campbell all back. And it, it, it's like almost like a different version of the defense than we've seen all year. So this actually might be a, a better defense than some of the advanced metrics or some of the numbers agree. might might want us to to believe when we look into it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, and that's why you know coming into the playoffs, I thought this was going to be a Buffalo Pittsburgh matchup, and to me that that would have been you know I mean, and, and it's easy to say now after watching how bad Pittsburgh played last week, but I just thought that was a game. We saw that game on Sunday night several weeks back, and I just think thought going into Pit- Buffalo that was going to be a game that that Buffalo was going to win without a doubt. Maybe it was going to be only three, four, six, seven points, but I just had you know I didn't think that they were going to lose that. Now, kind of you know I had Buffalo pegged as a potential upsetter in the AFC mild upsetter but now this game is is basically a coin flip game to mm-hmm. me I'm, I'm leaning Buffalo um because of the, the the Josh Allen factor because of the potential weather I think does favor Buffalo considering Lamar hasn't played and the way Lamar throws the ball it just feels like the cold and and the snow is only going to make you know Make it worse. I just don't think he throws a very good ball. Still, no, and, uh, it's concerning to me. But no, no real, no outcome will surprise me in this one. You know, if it was a low-scoring game where um, both teams played it a little close to the vest because of the weather and the defenses, you know, played well, that wouldn't shock me. Um, because the Ravens are so limited in the passing game, and then uh, and then the, their defense is playing well. But if this game gets gets going, and I think one team is forced to kind of you know, jumps out to an early lead and another team is forced to throw the ball, I think that could lead to a more chaotic game. So I'm leaning Bills here because that's what I said, you know, thought going into the playoffs, but very little confidence uh, either way and nothing, very little will surprise me. And, and either both teams would be would be fun to see in the AFC Championship, likely in Arrowhead next weekend. Yeah, I think a slight leans for me and probably just around the number, like if you could get, 
plus three and under I'd probably take the Ravens If it was three I wouldn't go either way Because I think the Bills legitimately have a chance to win the Super Bowl And if the Bills win this game I'll probably play them against the Chiefs next week If the Chiefs win I think they like I think they had a, would have a legit shot to match up well with them mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little worried Just about the Bills D last week um, And, and like bad. you said yeah, they were bad. It, like, and it felt like there were ten guys. Yeah, I didn't get a chance to try. Sorry to interrupt you. No, no, I go ahead, get please. A chance to, to, but you mentioned the third down conversions. There was a point in the game where I felt like the Bills were almost playing with ten men on third down. Yeah. It was that bad. Like, like it didn't matter what happened on first and second down. Rivers was going to find a way to to complete the you know a ten to fifteen yard pass. And you know the Colts are a solid passing team, but it just seemed a little too easy. The question is, you know, will the Ravens have that same success passing the ball? Will the Bills, you know, I think the Bills played the run pretty good last week, and I'm yeah. sure they're going to commit to it quite a bit this time. But if Lamar can can find a way to, to, to beat them with his arm, and that's pretty much the case, I guess, every week, they're going to be a tough team it's- to beat. Yeah, just make a few throws, right? I mean, he was 17 for 24. He had 179 yards passing. He had uh, 16 carries for 136 yards. One of those was a kneel down. Um, he had five rushes of 10-plus yards. If, if they're going to unleash him like that, like, that's the version of Lamar that wins a Super Bowl. And, and, and you know, like, they try to – he can do it like that, beating the right teams. He just has to go crazy on the ground. I don't – I, I'd rather trust him trying to make crazy runs on the ground than trying to make pinpoint throws. Like, you know, like when they, mm-hmm. if it's third and five or third and six and it's long, like I trust him beating somebody to the corner to a spot more than I do throwing the ball because, like you said, he was not that great last week. Um, all the numbers were awesome for Baltimore. They had 401 total yards to the Titans, 209. You know, like you said, they just shut down Derrick Henry. He only had 18 carries for 40 yards. Um, and Baltimore had 236 yards rushing. It, he only had. Two yards, two point one two yards per carry, two point two yards per carry, and zero runs of ten plus yards. That was the first time all year he hasn't had one run of ten plus yards. They had twenty two first downs to the Titans, twelve. They crushed in time of possession, crushed in yards per play. They were just one of three in the red zone. It felt really weird to see Tucker miss a field goal um, last week, like an important one that could have could have sealed the deal for them. I am. Yeah, just just fascinated in this game. I don't think I have like a really lean on one side. I'm gonna wait to see what the number ends up at the the fifty total. I if this was on a, a a field where it's going to be a fast field where I wasn't worried about snow and really cold and wind, I'd I'd play over. But at this number, I'm a little worried. Uh, one or two more stats before we uh, let Scott get out of here. Uh, Josh Allen was four or five last week on passes of twenty plus yards downfield. Um, he had six graded big time throws by Pro Football Focus, and then he had four point nine yards per rush, which is just insane to be like. We talk about Lamar with the passing and the running. Like Josh Allen can run and then give you pinpoint accuracy. Like that's that's the difference between this guy and I got a. I'll, I'll be the first to say when I'm wrong, Scott. I never thought Josh Allen would be remotely this good. I, I, I mean, get never, in line, brother. Get in line. Never <laughs> close. And then the other guy, I got to give it up to too, who you and I went back and forth with uh, on on a Twitter about a week or two ago. Stephon Diggs. I thought he was a great stretch the field receiver, but I thought he was a, a, a long a go long guy. That that was really it. I didn't think he could be this guy this year where he led the league in targets. Catches and receiving yards It was the fourth time in the last Five weeks when he went over 125 Yards he had 128 last Week this dude is a legit number One they've got a legit QB one who when you're Stacking the quarterbacks this year 
any list that you would make Josh Allen would be on the top five Like just you know We're, we're predicting the games and we're trying to uh, to Pick holes in a lot of these teams because that's what we do As gamblers and as analysts and stuff But just overall like uh, uh, some, some props and some praise for Buffalo Because they've done a, a phenomenal job They've been a really well coached team And this is a good quarterback This is a really good offense And I'm I'm pumped for this this Saturday night game. Like I'm uh, like you said, the four games. I'm definitely the most excited for this Bills uh, Bills Ravens game. Definitely. And one thing uh, you know, you have John Brown and what we like to call a revenge matchup. He played for the Ravens, of course, yeah. a couple years back. And it'll be interesting because the Colts play so much zone. The Ravens play man. It'll be inter- most mostly man, I believe. It'll be interesting to see. Uh, you know, Diggs Diggs did do better against man this year. Obviously, the the Ravens was excellent cornerback play. Humphrey. P, uh, Marcus Peters and Jimmy Smith But I still think I would suspect A couple big plays at least From Brown and Diggs in this one And 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 deep down I gotta admit I'm, You mentioned you, you say all these things about The Bills positive they're they're a fun team They're well coached they have a great fan Base they haven't been there for a while I kind of want the Bills to win Just kind of yeah. in my heart you know I mean I would love there to be a Bills Browns conference final just from like, <laughs> Fan base could you imagine Those like tormenting yeah. fans all those yep. years, it's like somebody's going to be in the Super Bowl. One of those two. The Browns got a, a tough one coming up this week, and the two Sunday games are fun. Um, where can we find some of your work, Scott? Uh, what what will you have be coming out this week covering uh, football and races? What can we be uh, be looking for from Scott Shapiro? Yeah, uh, you'll you'll find an article a little more in depth on my thoughts both uh, the Saturday divisional round games that we just talked about. If you want to review kind of what I spoke about, that article is already up. You can find it on Twitter. Um, or Facebook if you're friendly with me. If not, feel free to, uh, to to friend me on there. And then I'll have the Sunday one up by uh, Friday. I'm not sure when this will go out. I was going to say tomorrow. Uh, Racing-wise, uh, we'll be on the Turfway Park simulcast feed on Friday night. Uh, if you're uh, you know looking to maybe have a few beers and play some races, the Turfway product has been very good. Also, we'll be uh, looking forward to the Fairground Saturday car with the LeCompte, one of the uh, first Derby prep races of the year, and the Silver Bullet Day. Same for the Oaks. And uh, Emily joining me just uh, about 30 minutes after I finished recording with you to talk cool. about the, uh, yeah, the Fairground cards. Yep, yep, good card. And then starting next week, uh, I'll be locked in at Oakland Park. I'll be doing the expert picks for the Twin Spiders app and website. So that'll be the the main focus, along with the one day at Turfway for me, leading up to the uh, Kentucky Derby. So that's kind of the plan over the next uh, few days, weeks, and months, Gino. And Scott, um, just uh, before we let you go, too, there was some news too. It looks like Twin Spires has sort of rebranded with Bet America. Give us a little bit on that. Yeah, I think the decision was to uh, put everything all. I mean, Bet America, Twin Spires. I mean, it was the same team for the mm-hmm. most part, working on all this same office. Now putting it all under the Twin Spires umbrella, and then uh, today, meaning Thursday, we announced uh, Brett Favre will be our uh, ambassador for this next for our, uh, our our launch in Michigan, uh, and then in several other places. So exciting to have the. Uh, the Hall of Famer, the uh, the quarterback in Green Bay before Aaron Rodgers. They played the game uh, differently for the most part. Uh, I remember being in college. Uh, it goes back here with Favre. I mean, they've had two quarterbacks for so long. But, yeah, I remember when Favre's first year, I was, I think, a freshman in college. And, man, he was a gunslinger, and he was crazy. And I just remember being in the, uh, like the lounge where the TV was and just, you know, 
one minute, you know, all the Packer fans were gone nuts and cursing him out the next. And I saw him on campus. And he was a, he was a wild and crazy guy early in his career. But, uh, yeah, good to have Favre on board and uh, hopefully big things to come for uh, all parts of Twin Spires Racing, Sports, and Casino. Whenever I hear the lawnmower starting outside, that's always my cue that I know uh, my my our time is up here, Scott Shapiro. The gardener, <laughs> the gardeners are trying to tell me it's time to go. Scott Shap, thank you for your uh, your half hour of time here. It's been a blast all throughout the season, and uh, we'll uh, I'll I'll get you back in a few weeks before the Super Bowl, even just for a short uh, Super Bowl pick and maybe a couple props, and then uh, after that, it'll be uh, probably a few months where we uh, where we're just talking racing leading up to the Derby. Sounds good, man. Thanks for always for having me, and uh, best of luck. Enjoy the games this weekend. Our good friend Scott Shapiro, folks, uh, you know where to follow him. Do not go anywhere. We'll be right back with much more here on That's What She Said. Big thank you to Scott Shap, always uh, one of our go-to guys here on That's What G Said podcast. Make sure to give him a follow on social media. He does a great job covering horse racing, NFL, any uh, golf stuff, uh, any wagering stuff at all. Give Scott a, uh, a listen. Anytime you need anything in the world of real estate, folks, make sure to check out Cindy Carava, C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A dot com is the website. She's a full-service realtor. Uh, That means she can help you in many different ways, selling, purchasing, leasing. She can help you find a vendor, maybe a handyman, a painter, landscaper, a gardener that she's personally used in her own home. If you need help getting pre-approved for a loan, she can connect you with a lender that she's worked closely with and she can highly recommend. Covering all parts of the San Gabriel Valley, parts of North San Diego, County, Del Mar, Solana Beach, Rancho Santa Fe. Maybe you're just curious to see how much your home is worth. She can do a free market analysis of your home's value. CindyCarava.com You can also find her on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Reviews about her on Yelp and Zillow. CindyCarava.com For all of the information, full service realtor, make sure to let her know that Gino sent you. We move along now to talk Sunday NFL with Eric Etoff, 21 Sports, who's been helping us out all year long. So two Sunday games to talk with Eric. We recap what happened last week a bit, and then we move into talking Browns-Chiefs, and then the Sunday night game, the Tampa Bay Bucks versus the Saints. Sunday NFL in the divisional round. Here we go with Eric. We've been very lucky to have our buddy Eric joining us uh, almost every week uh, throughout the NFL season and now throughout the playoffs. He's been here with us. He joined us through the season. We talked like team over unders, fantasy stuff at the beginning, teams to bet. And now we're down to what uh, most people, I think, refer to Eric this weekend coming up as like the best NFL weekend of the year with the divisional round. I got to say, though, last week was a pretty good weekend with the the new format, the extra game. It was kind of fun having three games, one like all throughout the day, one after the next after the next. And I didn't think a couple of the games were. eh, But I, I mean, I thought overall it was it was pretty good. Oh, my God. It was a great weekend of football. I felt a little weird because I'm usually at Vegas that weekend. Oh, felt yeah. a little weird not being in Vegas, but it's always a great weekend to go. And it was, I was kind of weird. Like I'm used to having like six games going on at the same time. It was kind of relaxing to only have to worry about one thing and kind of be taking notes on one game at a time instead of it, 
the normal like six or seven. So. Well, because like normally we're the type of people who we're watching on Sundays, and but on Sundays it's it, there's so much going on in between some of the wagers that we make, um, fantasy season long DFS, like all sorts of prop wagers, all sorts of stuff going on. You're paying attention to a lot of things that you're involved in, and sometimes you don't. Get the really grasp of everything that happens In every game that's why we talk about We go back and rewatch the games a lot you know That's why NFL game pass is so nice and You can go back and watch those games without all the Commercials you can check them out in different views or Just check out different sections of the game If you want and then if there's a blowout you can kind of uh, I don't have to worry about the last few minutes now everything So it's really nice to be able to 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 you to do that, but man, when you don't have to uh, when you don't have to worry about going back as much, when you can actually just sit there and watch, it was uh it was awesome. And we got that type of weekend coming up again. We've got the uh, eight teams left now, four AFC, four NFC teams, and we have two games Saturday, two games Sunday. Just as far as like a overall like recapping last week before we move on to this week, I, I guess the most we'd have to say the most surprising thing of all. Would have to be, you know, the Browns who scored 28 points in the first quarter, which is the most points ever scored in the first quarter of an NFL playoff game. They win the turnover battle five to nothing and they get a victory. So we'll talk about, uh, you know, their game uh, in a second and, and when they what they play the Chiefs. But uh, as far as just a great job for them all season young, along with Stefanski, Baker played well again. They took advantage and it was you know, a combination of them just not making mistakes and Pittsburgh being like a phony team that they, we sort of saw throughout a lot of the season. Oh, my God. I for those who don't know my girlfriend, it was a awful two days for her because she grew up in Pittsburgh and she went undergrad. She went to Ohio State. So oh, no. Sunday and Monday were brutal, brutal. Brutal for her because like, you don't get many of those. Like oh you know, my, my buddy Don, who came on, most of them <laughs> are Browns fans and Ohio State fans. So it would have to be someone like her who went there. Oh my god! So oh, that's brutal. The worst. When the score was twenty-one to zero, she <laughs> went into the kitchen, grabbed a bottle of wine, and said, "I'm taking a bath." I, <laughs> I saw her about ninety minutes later with an empty bottle of Chardonnay. So <laughs> that is great. Oh my god! But I mean, credit where credit is due. I mean. Steelers made some turnovers and game was over early. It kind of reminded me of that um, Broncos Seattle Super Bowl that was a yeah. couple of years ago, where there was that high snap over Peyton and it was a safety and the wheels just fell off. But props to the Browns. I mean, yeah. they, you know, props to them. I mean, the reason I like the Browns so much going into the season was I'm a big offensive line guy and the additions that they made through the draft and signing Conklin, that made that unit one of the best, if not the best in the NFL. It, it from, showed because Mayfield dropped back 34 times, pressured zero times. You and I talked about it too at the very beginning, and I think you you had even said something very similar to they went from being one of the worst to one of the best. It wasn't even like a small upgrade. It was like, oh, wow. When you're able to bring in and upgrade the way that they did in multiple spots, and you go from being a weakness to being a real strength, um, it was just a great, great job by everybody putting this team together in the offseason, getting Stefanski, bringing them in, and they felt like a team that all year long had a game plan. And um, you know they're uh, they're going to be a big underdog this week. We'll talk about that in a second. How about the uh, the you know in the the Rams were a team that we it wasn't surprising. You know, for for those of you, those of us who backed the Rams, it was not that they won. 
and not even that their defense played really well, but it, I guess it was a little surprising to see Russ play that poorly, and it and it just shows you when that Rams defense is firing on all cylinders, they can lock down the pass with Ramsey, they can get after the quarterback with Donald, and they have a lot of guys in the middle of the defense that are just playing over their head right now. They're schemed really well, and and they they really beat up Seattle last week. I mean. In my eyes, Aaron, Aaron Donald is the best player in the league. And yeah. what he's able to do by disru- disrupting everything is just insane. I had the Rams plus the four. And the, I think, no, I, I almost bet the second half under, but I c- couldn't talk myself into it. But I also think something's going on with Wilson and DK. He never looks his way anymore until DK starts throwing his fit. And then they have a little powwow on the sidelines. And he forced that throw to him on the wide receiver screen that led to the Rams' first touchdown. I think there's like a little dynamic there that's going on. I don't know what, but ever since like week 12, week 11, something DK, changed. DK just hasn't been a big part of the offense. And now yes. Pete Carroll's coming out saying they want to run the ball more. They got rid of their OC, but at the beginning of the year, Russ said he wanted to throw the ball more. I don't know. Something, something's up there. I don't know what, but something's up. Uh, they're going to be uh, a, an underdog playing the Packers. They're going to be playing in uh, in cold weather there, and they'll see if they can uh, they can do their best to try to keep it close. It'll, it'll depend on some of their injuries, you know, Donald Cup. Uh, we'll see if Goff can be better a week later, but you're just not sure for someone who grew up in California. Um, he's been in, in this kind of weather only a few times, and and how good he could be, but. Uh, you know they they get there and they're a dog playing the Packers. I think that Saturday game and and we're gonna really break down the Sunday games. And we'll we'll hit this one before we do. I think that Saturday game though, uh, the late one um, is to me at least the most interesting. Both of these two teams. I mean, I could see really anything happening in in this type of game. You got the Bills who have won seven in a row. You got the Ravens who have won six in a row. You got two quarterbacks who can break huge runs at any point. You got two defenses who are, you know, they they can make plays. They and they're they, they can come up with a great performance, but they're not necessarily they haven't been great all throughout the season. Um, I just find this game really really fascinating, and I I I like both of these two teams. I I sort of wish they weren't in this spot because I feel like either one of them could have a, could have had a shot to upset the Chiefs. Oh, I I know either whoever wins this game. If the Chiefs win, I will probably be backing. Yep. that Buffalo game. The Colts, oh my God, that was someone that had the Colts plus the seven and the yep. money line. That was insanely frustrating. The Colts dominated that first half. They chased the points at the end of the half. Then they had that awful offsides. And then Isaiah Rogers dropped the INT. You could see the seven coming all the way. And then they just played catch up the whole time. And the one thing that stood out to me that I don't really think is getting enough people are talking about is that at the four-minute mark, 4.30 mark, Buffalo ran three straight pass plays, and they went from, like, first down on the Colts, like, 37, on the plus side of the field, and the next thing you know, it was, like, third and 33 because they kept on dropping Allen back, which, I like, where was the four-minute offense there? So I I don't know. I'm not – Allen has made great strides, but I really think he's going to struggle against this defense. I think the, the uh, Ravens are going to be able to run on him. Yeah, I, I lean the Ravens in this spot too the, the, This version of the Ravens defense Is like a version that we haven't seen They're really healthy for the first time They've got some of their best defensive players All sort of playing together Nagakwe, Smith, Campbell um, They all look really, really good And I just hope that It's it's sort of the, the, the time of the season now Where 
Lamar can't run all the time Week four, week five, week six He's going to get banged up, he's going to get hurt That wouldn't be smart to do that But now, in these games He should just be taking off all the time They they don't need to try to get cute And and force him into being a passer All the time, he's going to need to develop that As he keeps getting, you know And and to win some games here and there Especially when they're down to try to come back But I just want to see him let loose And just keep running every time he's getting He got an opening, that run last week was probably the best quarterback run I I can remember, especially given like the time and the place of it. That was awesome. Oh, it kind of flipped the game too because nothing was really going the Ravens' way. They got down to what was like a forty-five yard run, mm-hmm. and he just broke off. It was a great, great run, and that's what Lamar brings to the table—the electricity to just kind of flip the game on a on a switch. And in terms of the defense, I mean, the Ravens are going to be able to roll Peters, Humphreys, and Smith. At Diggs, which is huge And Beasley's not 100% either Yeah, that's just a really cool uh, Late Saturday game Let's get into the two Sunday games Uh, We're going to discuss these ones We've got the first one up The Chiefs are a 10-point favorite against the Browns uh, Early Sunday Over-under in this game is up to 57-ish Chiefs 14-2 and straight up 7-9 and against the spread though And in fact, they are 0-7-1 0-7-1 in their last 8 against the spread They have not won a game by more than 8 points since November the 1st Browns are 12-5 and straight up, 7-10 and against the spread This is, uh, you know, it sort of feels like an icing on the cake game for the Browns, right? Like they got into the playoffs, which is what was big for their franchise Then they won a playoff game, they beat the Steelers They may have sent the Steelers into some turmoil too So I feel like they may come into this game sort of with, with no pressure on their backs I know for me, I have locked in the plus 10.5 for people that are with me in my service, and we're actually waiting to see if we can get a plus 7 for the first half. I love the situation when the starters rest week 17, and then the team has a bye. So the stars are going to be rusty, and that's what I'm banking on happening. You look at last year. Chiefs have to remember, we got Chiefs got down 24-0 to to the Texans, and who knows, if Bill O'Brien would have went for it and they could have got that 28-0, to Chiefs probably wouldn't have come back and made that Super Bowl run. Also, this is the worst possible matchup for the Chiefs. They're playing the team with the best offensive line that's still remaining in the playoffs. And the Chiefs' biggest weakness is they are 31st DVOA versus the run, which is a huge advantage. I expect the Browns to work the clock, run the ball with Chubb and Hunt, and then on defense, I think they're just going to drop eight and force Mahomes to nickel and dime and take four, five, six yards at a time down the field. That way they can shorten shorten the game. Also, because of the huge advantage with the O-line versus the D-line, the uh, props came out today. I, Me and my guys, we locked in Chubb over 67 and a half yards rushing. We also took Chubb over 12 and a half yards receiving. I know everyone thinks that Hunt is the pass-catching back. Since week 12, Chubb has gone 3 for 32, 1 for 26, 2 for 21, 2 for 16, 5 for 38. Week 17, he did have zero targets, zero catches. Last week, four for 69. This is a prop the books just haven't caught up with yet. And as a better, that's what you look for. You look for a prop that you see at advantage. I We locked that in. And then now, in terms of the total, it's at 57. That's a dead number. So what I'm instructing people to do is you kind of have to read the situation. If it gets up to 60, bet the under. If it gets down to 55, bet the over. 
Baker last week 21 for 34, 263 yards Three touchdowns, no sacks, pro football Focus gave him a 90 grade Which was excellent um, You mentioned the the O-line for uh, Kansas City They're a li- uh, Kansas City's O-line is a little banged up too They're going to have to deal with Miles Garrett Browns getting back Ward and Johnson The Browns had lost 17 straight Games at Heinz Field before that uh, Victory last week um, You have 20 days off for Mahomes And this just this feels like a lot at 10. Even if the Browns are getting the crap kicked out of them for this most of this game, this is like a total backdoor. You could be down 16, score a late touchdown here and you and you cover. So I just and I I don't even think the game is going to to play out that way. I actually think the the Browns have a much better opportunity to keep this game close. And you mentioned, you know, you kind of laid it out like the template is there for them with running the ball just kind of you look at Kansas City, I think we're still sort of thinking that they are the the like really overpowering offense of last year and they haven't really been that this year. They they've sort of been messing around with teams and kind of playing with them and and maybe and Mahomes is so good that they can just press the button and 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 just be a like take it to the next level here, but they have to sort of prove it before we can get behind them, especially at this big of a number. And also a trend I found is home teams that are coming off a bye that are a double-digit dog are 0-5 against the spread. I think they're going to come out rusty. And like I said, this is the worst possible matchup. And I really think the Browns, and they're getting Stefanski back. I mean, I think they took the Browns, all those young guys, took a big step forward. I mean, they did way better than I thought they were going to do last week. It was just a huge confidence-building win for them, for their franchise moving forward. That was huge for the Browns. They're a, a heavy underdog here, but hey, you know what? I, it, it, like, this wouldn't surprise me. It, like, compare this to, like, I don't know, like the Bears-Saints last week. I wouldn't have been nearly surprised, wouldn't be nearly as surprised if the Browns won this game as, like, a similar type underdog versus that game last week. It would have surprised me a lot more for the Bears. They they don't feel like a 10-point dog because there are ways the Browns can win this game. They just got to be careful. You don't want to get down early. You don't want to get down to the point where you're really forced to have to throw the ball. But even if they are, Kansas City's defense does not really scare me. I mean, the the worst thing that could happen, and the only way I see the wheels falling off is Kansas City gets the ball first, they drive down and score, Browns get the ball back, they run a play action or do an early down pass, bad kick by Mayfield, a quick 14 nothing. Does Skafanski panic early in the first quarter and get away from running the ball? Mm-hmm. Or does he, like, go to the pass? In the, yeah. in the past, he's kept running the ball. So this year, but I don't, but last year there is the same situation. He was the offensive coordinator of the Vikings. And remember the Vikings got that big win in overtime on the Rudolph touchdown against the saints. And then they laid a complete egg next week against the 49ers. So I hope he's learned from that and he'll stick with the game plan this week. Uh, the, Later Sunday game is Saints, which I think is around minus three now. It's moved down the, a bit from, from the four vicinity and now has gone down uh, versus Tampa. Over under 52, Saints 13 and four overall, 10 and seven against the spread. Tampa 12 and five straight up, nine and eight against the spread. The Bucks will lose their right guard, Alex Kappa, who is uh, is done. And 
Ronald Jones we have some questions about Because he looked like he was on track To play last week and then he did not Fournette ended up having 19 carries for 93 yards and 40 yards after Contact which was really nice Obviously uh, we remember the Two games this year where the Saints just beat the crap Out of Tampa third time they they Play do you see this game Going any different I have Two bets for this game the first Bet is we locked in the under of 52 I think this number I like this number because of the pace of play during the regular season. The Saints averaged 2.12 plays per minute. Last week against the Bears, they averaged 1.92 plays per minute. And they were played at the fourth slowest pace of the teams that played last weekend. I expect them to continue this trend, try to run the ball with Kamara. But the Bucks are the top DVOA versus the run. On the flip side, all I'm seeing online is Arians wants to run the ball, doesn't want to get in the shootout, doesn't want to come out passing it of the same thing that happened in the Sunday night game where there was some bad turnovers. Saints got out to an early lead. Game was over. He wants to control the clock. The only issue is Saints are second DVOA against the run. Mm -hmm. So I really think both teams are going to come out, try to run the ball, try to control the clock, try to keep the other offense on the sidelines. Also important for the Saints, Saints are getting Hendricks back. And the key to stopping Brady is Brady is so good recognizing the blitz and getting the ball out of his hand early to get to Brady. You have to be able to create pressure without blitzing. And that's what Hendricks is able to do. Also, this is the third time playing, like you said. So these teams are familiar with what each can and can't do and their tendencies. So I expect this to be a relatively low scoring game. The other bet I like is Monday. We locked in the bucks plus three and a half. The reason I like this is I like it because of the way the Saints play. The main way the Saints look to move the ball is the short passing game and passes to running backs out of the backfield. Looking at the DVOA rankings, Bucks are 7th best DVOA versus a short pass, 6th best DVOA defending pass to the running backs. So kind of what the Saints are looking to do is playing into the Bucks' strengths. Now the way to exploit this Bucks defense is with the deep ball. The only problem is this is Drew Brees at over 40. Drew Brees' average pass, meaning traveling in the air during the regular season, six yards. Last week, an embarrassing 4.7 yards. So the way to exploit the defense by the deep ball, Brees just can't do anymore. Then I took a look at Kamara and Thomas, what their two most explosive playmakers have done against the Bucs. Week one, Kamara, 12 for 16 rushing, 5 for 51 receiving. Week nine, 9 for 40 rushing, 5 for 9 receiving. Thomas, week 1, 3 for 17. Now we know he got hurt and didn't finish the game. That week, week 9, 5 for 51. So they're two big playmakers. They aren't doing anything. Now I look at the Washington. No, excuse me. I look at Tampa Bay. What Tampa Bay was able to do against Washington with their offensive line play really stuck out for me. And another thing that really stuck out, Gronkowski was able to block Chase Young. I mean, with Gronkowski staying back, there is basically another offensive lineman. I think that's going to be a key that they're going to allow Brady to have time to pick apart and take advantage of the huge mismatch that Chris Godwin's going to have against Chauncey Gardner-Jones in the slot. Also, I found a tread where underdogs playing a team for a third time are 17-10 and 10 against the spread. When I did all my stuff and I capped the game, I had to pick them. So I definitely saw the value at plus three and a half. And another thing, I said it last week, there's the Peyton effect. The last three years, the Saints have had the best team in the NFC, and Peyton always did gets too cute for the room. He gets tight. Yeah, why, he does. Why was Taysom Hill 
in the game last week, dropped back, fumbled. Bears, being the Bears, they weren't able to take advantage of it. This Bucks team, they'll be able to take advantage of it. Also, can you name who led the Saints in targets and receptions last week? Deontay Harris. Deontay Harris, yeah. Why is a fourth string wide receiver, who you can argue in terms of target share, should be the fifth behind Cook, leading the team in targets and receiving? Year after year, the Saints always find a way to blow games that they should win. They've, in my eyes, they've had the most talented roster in the NFC, at least, maybe the NFL the last three years, and they always find stuff to blow it. I'm actually even going to be on the money line if I can get anything at plus 150 or higher for the Buccaneers. Yeah, to me, this is such a tight game that the number is really key. You know, it, depending on which side you're leaning, just look for that best number at, at three and a half. Or or over, I'd absolutely lean Tampa. If you were going to give me under three, I would probably lean towards the Saints. Um, I just think it's going to be that type of game. But I, I, I honestly am, am really interested in this one too. I do not think it's going to be a blowout. I do I do not see it happening like it was the first two games. And I my favorite play in this game would be the under. I think mm-hmm. that I, I think that's the play because I I completely understand and respect your handicap and and I feel very similar in that. It both of these teams, I don't, you know, we sort of think of them as going up and down. I just don't know if that's the right way to go about this game, and, and I don't think either will try to do that. I third like third time against an opponent, division rival. You sort of play it a little safer, a little closer to the vest here. I, I think that's how it's going to happen with these two. Oh, I totally agree. Like I, and if they get the on, the only worry is both these teams are so bad. Especially the Bucks in special teams, like some fluky turnovers. Because honestly, that when week one, there were some bad special teams blunders, and that's what hurt the the Bucks. Eric, always a, a blast talking with you, buddy. You've helped us out so much this year with the NFL. Um, as uh, we transition over the next few weeks, we're going to start talking a lot more NBA too. But we'll definitely have to bring you back next week to talk some uh, some conference championship games. So give the folks out there uh, your plugs. Where can we find you on social media, your podcast, your website, uh, all the good stuff? Uh, you can find me at etop21sports on Twitter and Instagram and my website at etop21sports has my blogs. I'll be writing one about the Lions new hire for their GM, uh, my podcast, and all my betting uh, spreadsheets for tracking. Yeah, we got a, a fun couple of weeks coming up. We got the NFL uh, uh, divisional round this week. We've got the conference championships next, the week after. Then we got the Royal Rumble, and then we got the the Super Bowl following that. So a good slew of weeks coming up here. Eric, thank you so much, buddy. Good luck this weekend. We'll be uh, we'll be talking to you. I'll be going back and forth with you. Sounds good, man. Have a good one. That was uh, Eric. He's been such a great help all throughout the the year. Make sure to give him a follow there on social media. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back after a quick break. Great stuff, as always, from our buddy Eric. So just a quick recap of some things that I'm looking at playing this weekend on the Saturday early game, Packers-Rams. If you get the Rams at 7, especially at 7.5, I would lean that way. The total, I I don't really have a whole lot of, of, of lean either way. Um, 
Bills Ravens. I think the Ravens have a big opportunity in that game. The if you can get like plus three, look for the best Ravens number you can find. Over under is fifty. I'd also slightly lean over on that one. Chiefs minus ten against the Browns. Give me the Browns there. Um, at least to cover the the ten. That's a great number for the Browns to be able to at least backdoor even if they're getting beat up. And in the Sunday night game, it minus three. I would lean Saints if it was over three. I wouldn't really play the game, and at over under 52, I would slightly lean under there. So uh, four games this weekend, and uh, we'll be down to the final four as of next week. Another big weekend coming up in Stable Duel. Let's talk a little bit about the Stable Duel schedule for the weekend. So on Friday, it's the Tampa Bay Downs Bash at the Bay Game 2. It's a $25 buy-in. $1,000 $1,000 prizes to prize pool for the winners, and the winner, overall winner, gets a free entry into the uh, the Saturday finale. You can also pre- play at Gulfstream. There's a $100 buy-in. There's a $10 buy-in. At Santa Anita, they have a $5 and then a $50 double-up. At Golden Gate, there's a $5 buy-in. Golden Gate's back in the mix. And then on Saturday, you've got the Tampa Bay Downs Bash at the Bay finale. 100 bucks to get in, $10,000 uh, in, in prizes, and the winner gets some Tampa Bay Downs swag, and a race day experience for February 6th, Sam F. Davis Day. Get to StableDuel.com for all the details. On Saturday, you can also play at Gulfstream Park for 25 You can play at Laurel for 10 You can play at Santa Anita for either 5 or for a 50 in a double-up. And at Golden Gate, you can get involved for 5 And then on Sunday, there's a free ride at Tampa Bay Downs. They, can, they also have a $25 buy-in top 10 game. There's a Gulfstream Park $10 game, a Santa Anita $50, a Santa Anita $5, and a Golden Gate $5. So just another weekend where you are loaded with options for opportunities, for different contests, from free rides, all the way up to $100 big games with $10,000 in prizes like that Tampa Bay Downs finale on Saturday. Speaking of Tampa Bay Downs, let's talk about Friday. Tampa Bay Downs. Let's uh, get your past performances out. I'm going to go through my stable dual lineup, and I'll give you a couple best bets for the uh, for the day. So in race number one, I thought the four was going to be tough. Mast Cove just fits the conditions really well. Likes Tampa. I think she's going to sit the trip. In race number two, the four R. Avery Lynn tried tougher last time out. Drops, cuts back, sits a, a Probably a really nice second in here, uh, turning back in distance. In race number three, I'm looking at the three, Dark Timber, whose race at Gulfstream Park had some trouble, has had some trouble um, at the start. So with a clean beginning, putting a couple starts together, I'm expecting a good, uh, probably his best effort today. Dark Timber, the number three, will spend up there. He cost you 8500 in your stable dual lineup. In the fourth race, I thought the one scenic overlook, if you just put a line through his last start, her last start, and you play her off of uh, the December 4th race, she showed a little more speed that day. I think she will be more forwardly placed in here. In race number five, would you tell me how to get how to get to Sethemy Street? Number five, I know that song quite a bit for Sethemy Street. <laughs> I think she will just sit a really nice trip. She doesn't have to be as far back as she was last time out. She's she does have some gate antics, but when she breaks well, she can be more tractical, sit a little more mid-packy. The five, very consistent, set the me street. I'll be using an exotics. I'm going to make a win wager on her if we can get anything over three to one. She's going to cost you 7000 in your stable dual lineup. 
in race number six at Tampa. I thought the six Zendin, who would cost you 6,500, nine to two morning line, blinks on on the drop in class, expecting to see more speed out of this one. In race number seven, the ten tangled web to the outside just has enough pace to to get involved and has shown the ability to sit off just a little bit. I'm hoping that because of with the outside draw, use a little bit of speed, secure a nice position, settle down, relax a little bit, have something left late in the tank. Only cost you seven fifty in your stable dual lineup. We'll take another shot in race number eight with the number 10, who's just coming into a new barn, and this barn is so good with first, uh, first-time first acquisitions off of the bench. Uh, race the Storm, the number 10, to the outside. We'll be using, if you can get around 6, 7 to 1, we may play a few bucks to win on Race the Storm. And in uh, the ninth race, the number 3, Angel Embrace. I think there's a little bit of pace in here in a race where, I mean, where's the speed coming from on paper? There is zero proven speed in here, Angel Embrace might be able to get the lead or be sitting really close on the cutback in distance. The number 3, Angel Embrace, only cost you 3000 And to fill up the lineup, we'll use the 10, Tiz herself, whose last race at Tampa was a little bit better than it looks on paper after a slow start, came flying late, doesn't have a whole ton of speed, but she will come closing. Tiz herself will also be in the stable dual lineup for me. Three best bets at Tampa on Friday. In the 5th, the number 5, Sethemi Street. In the 8th, the number 10, Race the Storm. And in the ninth, the number 3, Angel Embrace. That is Tampa for Friday. While we're talking Friday, let's head on over to Sam Houston. So get your past performances out. Let's look at the late pick 5 sequence. So we're looking now at Friday for Sam Houston, January the 15th. And we're going to flip to race number 6. I'm going to start in here. So this is the start of your late pick 5. Remember at Sam Houston, 12% takeout. Pick fours, pick five, uh, daily doubles, pick threes, pick fours, pick fives, pick six now. All the rolling exotics have 12% takeout. The five seeing double is where I'm going to start. She, I think you can make excuses for her last couple races. She had three solid races back in February and March at Sam Houston. Since then, she's raced five times. Four of them have been in stakes, and three of them she's been behind a horse named She's All Wolf, who's really, really sharp and a very nice multiple stakes winner. Lady Orchid, you see in the past performance running lines. The barn is not the greatest off of the bench. They're about 5% with a 60 to 180 or a 180 plus day layoff. But she doesn't have to be any better than what she was earlier in the year. It's not like she has to come out of this come out of this race like guns blazing and improving. The May race back at Will Rogers, there were four next out winners, and there's not a whole lot. In this field that I love it Because the way it shapes up Looks like Honey Hush has a little bit of speed Maddie's Music has a little bit of speed Distorted Flash has a little bit of speed The three of them likely go And a horse like Seeing Double could get a really nice trip in here I'm using her in all the exotics I'm also using the two Field Daisy Field Daisy last raced at Churchill She was a step slow from the rail She was last of six About four lengths off on the inside She moved up a bit She... She didn't show that much, but that was at Churchill. That was her first start since April when she was running at Oaklawn prior to that, prior to that at Churchill and at Keeneland. So she's just been facing a lot better. She comes out of a race where the third-place finisher just came back to win a first-level allowance at Fairgrounds. Field Daisy uh, in that April 5th race. There were also two next-out winners at Oaklawn Park. The races she comes out of just feel like they're a lot better. 
The four Maddie's music is looking for her third in a row. She cleared off from the two path without really being asked at Remington on December the 11th. And that was a nice win first time for Danny Pish. She's looking for her third in a row and her second for this barn as they step her up from the, the $7,500 level up to the 25000 non three level. The only problem I had is I thought Maddie's music would have a little bit of other speed to deal with, like the seven distorted flash and maybe even Honey Hush from the inside. So those would be the other two. I just, the, either one of them winning wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world, but I just don't think they'll get the type of trip they need. Can Distorted Flash sit a little bit, and can Honey Hush work out the kind of trip that she needs from the rail? I have them stacked five, two, four, and then I have seven and one underneath them. So I'll probably use two, four, five in most tickets, and then maybe one ticket where I either go all or I end up using the horses that I mentioned. I, I probably just go all if I'm using five of the seven in a, in a situation where I'm starting to pick five. Seventh race, leg two. The five is the horse I'm going to start with. That is uh, March's May. So I think she's on the upswing right now. Let's look at her her career. Debut at Keeneland against Maiden Special Weights. She had some trouble, but just put a line right through it. Comes back a couple months later at Oaklawn Park. She's stopped and she's distanced. So she's just in a little bit too tough. She hooks a horse that day named Fire Corral. Fire Corral comes back to win next out. And then since then, Fire Corral has faced Swiss Skydiver, Swiss Skydiver, and She Dares the Devil, She Dares the Devil in, a, in her losses. After that, March is May. She's off from January of 2020 to November of 2020. She comes back at the maiden $7,500 level at Remington with a good third. Then on November the 28th, her second start off the long layoff, it was just a Good, good effort, and she was defeated by a horse who came back out of that race. She was beaten by just a neck that day. She came back, and the horse who beat her came back to win by nine next time out. On December the 21st, she moved from last uh, with an early move wide, and I was just really impressed that she was able to sustain that move, and she was able to dig in. That was going a mile. Now she cuts back to seven furlongs. The number five. March is May. We'll be using in all the exotics, along with the six Ignis, who will probably get bet a little bit for Asmussen and Elliot. She broke out a, a bit, but she broke on top, and she ends up settling three deep before within a length at the top of the lane. I'll be using the six everywhere. The three does feel like the one to beat. That's La Rosa Drive, who was a step slow inside. She wanted to go. She was just behind horses. She tried to get through a tight spot. She just she couldn't. She had to back out. She had to come around, and she just couldn't get to the uh, the eventual leader, the leader and the eventual winner. She fits. I have five, six, three as my top tier. The next would be Sneaky Diane, who is got some okay form on a fast track. It's a little bit better than it looks. She hasn't won, but she's she's raced pretty well. And I, then it would be the eight, ten hurdles. I just don't love as much, but she hasn't done anything wrong. So, five six three is my top tier with two eight. If you want to go deeper, as you know, other horses I'm looking at. Eighth race, you don't hear this from me too much, folks. I have no clue. I mean, I really started going horse by horse, and they they all look and feel so similar to me on paper. I'm just gonna press all in a in a wide open race. That's a deep race. I hate having to go all in a race that's this deep, but. I'm not going to give you an opinion when I don't really have a strong one. So we're just going to buy the race and move on. 
And I think it'll be okay because we're going to single the seven in race number nine, who to me feels like a really good spot for a good scout who's dropping in from 25 and on three to 15 on three. If if he shows anything similar to the tactical speed he showed in his last few, he's going to be really tough to run down. There is no sprint speed in this race whatsoever. So good scout, going to be chalky, but I will single him on one ticket, no doubt. I'll probably play another ticket where I end up going 7 and 8. I'll use the 8 and treat him as a wild card to the outside, Arden and Lee Starr. First off the claim for Luca Relli coming in from uh, California where he last raced at Golden Gate, Santa Anita prior to that. And... And then over at uh, the the one, the entry for Broberg wouldn't talk you off him, uh, especially Dias, who's sharp and is looking for a third consecutive win. That's the part of the entry that I would prefer. I have him 7-8-1 with the single of the 7 on uh, on a ticket or two. To close it out, I like the 4. My baby's gone. We're now in race number 10 at Sam Houston. We are... Made in 70, looking at Maiden 7500s at 5.5 furlongs to distance. My Baby's Gone debuted on November the 7th. Good start, was outside, uh, sat in the clear, was 6th from post 11, and was not bad. Moved up to about 3 lengths off, ended up finishing 5th that day in a big field. It's better than it looks on paper. That was against Maiden 20s. Again against Maiden 20s on December the 21st. Last out, she started well from the rail. She had the lead going into the turn, but then she took back from the inside. She settled. She got shuffled a little bit and ended up being fourth, fifth, couple lengths off on the inside. And they went really, really slow to the half. They went to 49 and change, and the top two ended up drawing off. She moved up into third before fading. There's some ability with the four. My baby's gone. The two stone drop homebred on the big drop on class will try to steal it. Had to battle three deep of five, um, with a five across the track. So you're in between battling. Feels like it's just going to be speed sending hard in here. She hooked a really quick horse in her debut named Tiz Magic and then got caught up in a, a big pace battle last time out. I mean, I guess the other one would be the six. Moonrise Kingdom, who I just don't love. She made a four-wide middle move at the top of the lane. Could she win this? Absolutely. But I'd much prefer the two and the four in here to close things out at Sam Houston. Race number 10 on Friday night. So that is your Friday racing here on That's What G Said. We're going to move on over now and we're going to hear Saturday racing with Emily Golickson. And then we're going to talk some Saturday Sam Houston with Jessica Paquette. So coming up in just a minute, it's going to be Emily Golickson. Horse racing fans, many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form, for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF Mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. 
one click to formulator for charts for replays if you get the formulator version and even on the classic past performances you get the home screen with horses with odds with buyers you get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph you can rotate your phone for the best view and any horse that you click on you'll see the running lines you can easily move from horse to horse the same data as those traditional classic drf past performances you get an interactive format which is Very similar to the DRF Classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone. Cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next. And then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering. Multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. We have got a really fun weekend of horse racing coming up at the fairgrounds and one of those big stakes days where they've got a ton of stakes races. They've got a Kentucky Derby prep, so we're going to get a chance to see some of the uh, newly turned three-year-olds on the road to the Kentucky Derby. There's also a, an Oaks prep on, on in the mix, too, so uh, just a, a really fun Saturday. And Emily Gullickson, one of our favorite people to talk horse racing with from Optics EQ, Twin Spires, joins us to uh, discuss the fairgrounds card. And Emily, I think we discussed these same a lot of these same horses when they ran on December the nineteenth, which was sort of the last stakes day at fairgrounds. It for two handicappers that I you know I I'm one of them I think are very sharp. It, we didn't necessarily get the best gambling results that day, so we're back and we have a vengeance today on this fairgrounds card. Yeah, I think it. And I think it's really interesting. It's funny because it's like I I totally thought the same thing. And one of the things I talk about like because I have a, a circle of friends that aren't horse racing people. And I try to explain, you know, horse racing and try to put it into terms like that people that aren't involved in horse racing understand is we have these stories about these horses that it's not just one race because the data from that one race carries over into the next. And it just like creates this long storyline for a horse. Right. And so we kind of have that this afternoon. It's kind of fun because we can talk about some of our opinions on that day what we thought about going into that race, compare that with the results, and that forms our opinions going forward. So I kind of think it's neat in a way that we are kind of like covering these races again um, and with some of these same horses. We'll uh, we'll see if we can uh, be be a little little better. Let's get let's get one or two more winners. I think you you uh, you did a little better than I, but we're we're ready to rock. Let's let's talk briefly about the third race, which is the stakes uh, early in the card, and then we'll sink our teeth into races nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Tons of stakes races on that Saturday card. So the third is the five and a half furlong turf sprint. It's the Duncan Kenner. Last time out, it, it really looked like just might um, was the the classiest of the speed and he 
he proved that. He ran really, really well that day, and he looked like he he was in a great spot. I think he sort of got the trip that we expected. He just got run down late by uh, a rival who he's going to face again in this particular spot. Um, are those the two you start with? Do you look at you know anyone new who was in, in that race last time out? How do you uh, approach this third? Well, I think you do have to start with them just because of the fact that they are they are one two on the morning line, and you have mm-hmm. to kind of decide in terms of value. You're playing this race, what you're going to do with these horses. And when we were talking about it, yeah, we like just my because of that pace advantage and look like you know just kind of like the right spot for him coming out. And I do want to note that he was wearing front wraps that day, which to me, like when a horse makes a change like that, it's like a punch in the gut because you're yeah. just like. Why are they wearing those wraps? No. Like, oh. He still ran well, but it's something to keep in mind. And then in terms of Artudes, you know, he was the morning line favorite that day, and he kind of snuck away. It was just sort of one of those races where it just didn't really look like there was a horse that was a standout favorite. So it's not that surprising that he did kind of go off uh, just a tick over four to one. But he's going to be probably favored here off that win, and it's a different trip for him because he's drawn outside. So I'm, you know, I wasn't that excited about him last time out, and I don't think the outside post does him any favors today um so i'm kind of looking for sort of a a a couple new shooters in here so i'm looking at born great i know he's wheeling right back Mm -hmm. but he's in good form um should get a good kind of inside trip almost that trip that archie has had last time out just kind of saving ground behind that first flight he's got some kick so i just sort of like him from a trip perspective uh ready for prime time you know he might not have quite been ready for prime time in the past but he's just been kind of improving for um Brad Cox, and just sort of, you know, maybe in terms of speed kind of takes up that role, especially, you know, just might have the front wraps on again, you know, something like that. But I'm kind of interested in him. Um, uh, you know, there's some fuzzy things. There's some notes in here that I just kind of wanted to make real quick. Um, in terms of fast boat, he was kind of one of those horses that was probably going to take money last time out just as a sort of unexciting type, but could be a horse that maybe sneaks away today and then might just kind of be the time to, to take advantage. You know, I know when they're doing a lot of changes with the blinkers coming off and things like that, it's not like the most confidence, but, um, you know, at a price, just sort of one of those where it's like, yeah. oh my God, he's eight to one, you know, and like, you know, Absolutely. Just, I, would, I would keep an eye on him from that perspective. Um and then I do want to note as well, um, the number six uh, went west. He could get some attention in here just because of the high speed figures. And people will look at that and go, oh, I ran so well on the wet fast track last time out. And if you go back and watch that replay and you don't know that track is listed wet fast, that is a fast racetrack. So just keep that in mind. I, it's not that it's wrong. You know, they rate them like early on or whatever, but that track was fast um, and, you know, maybe gets a little bit over bet off that it was a blanket finish that day as well which again doesn't quite look like that on paper necessarily um and manny wall i mean you know he is who he is they're trying turf now it's kind of like a desperation after going over in 2020 um i'm sure any horse i missed is probably the winner right yeah. <laughs> real, <laughs> real money I, I, exactly real real money i just think yeah. circle real money for sure um yeah, yeah I mean, they... he, can, he, he can win he just he's one of those horses that just needs like everything everything goes right he wins and and that's the scenario so i mean it's not that type of exciting horse because i have a hard time seeing that trip for him here but um you know if you're stabbing who knows I think of for me, like of the new faces, 
I really like the both uh, both born great and ready for prime time, and I'm probably lean ready for prime time solely based on the post and just on the draw, like being more drawn towards the middle of the field. Whereas I think it'll have a little more options there. Born great might be forced into a, a trip a little more down inside that he doesn't necessarily want, where he's got some speed and he can show it to work out a trip. But I would I, I would like him a little more if he was drawn towards the outside. And I do like the fact that ready for prime time has showed the ability to sit off uh, if he needs to sit second or third. If someone else goes so I think there are some options there too And yeah I, I sort of agree There are just a couple newer faces that look A little more exciting uh, to take a swing At than the ones we saw last time with Just Might and, and Archie Dust who might be a little Shorter price so um, Yeah th- th- for me the, the, those two would be The ones I take a look at and for some reason if Born Great floated up and he was around 8, 9, one he gets forgotten about then I Definitely would go in that direction but uh, Yeah it feels like there are like Some, some horses in that like Five to ten to one range that you can feel like Okay I, I think I'll get a good run for my money With them in this spot Yeah absolutely especially because we, we've kind of isolated I think those two horses are going to take money And, and kind of no real standouts This afternoon And we are finished up with a third At fairground so now we're going to move to race Number nine the rest of the stakes races Are at the end of the card so you have a Late all stakes pick five and uh, some really good races here We kick things off with the uh, the Krantz Memorial In race number 9 They're going to be going a, a mile and a 16th On the turf course here So you've got the top 4 that are returning From the Blushing KD on December the 19th Where they basically sat 1, 2, 3, 4 All the way around the track And finished 1, 2, 3, 4 that day uh, That was Delica, Secret Message Curlin's Journey um, Cora, they're all back in this spot So with that group, just from a conversation standpoint We have to start with them um, Did you see anything out of that race That would maybe make you upgrade one or, uh, over the others? Well, I mean, I, th- I think Delica probably has an edge over that pack um, You know, I mean, she's run against some of those in the past And just, you know it's kind of in the right spot. It's hard to kind of see a reverse, even though that you mentioned the kind of race shape. I just think that was her class. Sorry about the sirens that are going off in the background, if you can hear that. Um, just her class taking over that just kind of worked that trip. We mentioned Secret Message last time out because of just, you know, the barn change, them deciding to keep her in training and just really didn't have anything to lose. So it's kind of interesting that they run back second off. But again, there's not really anything that got me excited off that race necessarily. She's kind of one of those what you see is what you get type runners. Um, Cora, I mean, you know, if she had a better post, she could be totally upgraded in this spot. Um, Just looking at her form cycle, she kind of ran well. Again, those front wraps when they came off the second start of the form cycle, um, she pops. So she's kind of in that second start of the form cycle pattern right now. So maybe, you know, I just think there's probably some positive intent behind her. Um, And then as far as the number one, I mean, I'm kind of just looking for, you know, just kind of something to pop. You know, I'm not totally sold on her in terms of this distance, but maybe it's just kind of like the new face. Um, There's upside off the 926 race. You know, it just wasn't an ideal trip for her, and I think that she's better than that. It's just hard to kind of give a strong push. Um, You know, I think she's going to show more speed, too. Right, uh, for well, me yeah, inside, stretching out for right? sure. I think you yeah. know, well, stretching out because you have that one turn mile um, yep. at Churchill, and and she broke slow um, at Saratoga, so she's 
certainly capable. It's just a matter of like, what does she really want to do? Because they mm-hmm. just keep having her in these different spots, whether it's like, is she intended to run on the turf or is it one turn on the main track? And they're, you know, her back form- to a sprint at Saratoga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, you know, it's really hard to just get a read at this point. And then she's had those trips in between. So just sort of like where she's at and what she wants to do. We're just sort of waiting to see it. Um, in terms of like kind of an underneath value, I think number four could be that horse um, just to kind of, you know, again, like on the win end, so maybe a little bit below. Um, and she's met Delika in the past and just hasn't been able to kind of get in front of her. But I think there's some positive intent as she makes her second start off the layoff here going sprint to route. That's been a, um, a good angle for her in the past. So, um, you know, something to mess around with with here but you know i'm sort of leaning a little bit i'm not as strong last time out i thought delica was just kind of one of those like really solid singles um just in that race just fit i think she's like you know the horse to beat in here but i i would mess around with some others oh i forgot to mention room to finish um Yeah, did you did you like her? I do. I you know I've I've always just been kind of a fan of hers. She's really honest. She likes this turf course. She's gonna come running. She may not be quite as good as the the top few in here from a class perspective, but if Joya Pefora from the inside goes and if Delika is close and maybe Kuora or Curlin's journey says, Hey, you know what? Let's try to get in front of Delika today. And then maybe there's three or four that are going a little bit quicker than they would have wanted. I think room to finish could absolutely pick up some pieces here and loves this turf course. It's just how, how good is she against an open group like this? Right. No, that, that was definitely my concern. I mean, even last time out, I, I sometimes this is like weird when you're trying to assess, sometimes assessing a win is, is more difficult than assessing mm-hmm. a bad trip. Right. Yep. And I, her, her win last time out was kind of sneaky good. I went back and watched it. She kind of had to close against the flow. I know, yeah. I know it doesn't quite look like it in terms of the running line, but I think those type of trips are often like they're, they're worth upgrading. So, you know, I'd keep an eye on her um, at a square price in here. Yeah, that's at least an under uh, in, in race number nine. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree. It, it just feels like Delica of that group I thought was better. And keep in mind, too, like Delica got the lead last time. That was just one of those situations where it's like, hey, we're the best. We're probably just going to put her on the lead and make sure that, like, if you want to beat us, you're going to pass us. She's by no means a need the lead horse in here. You know, if somebody goes, she can just sit nicely right behind or she can track mid pack and close. She's shown some, uh, you know, she's shown some tracking ability, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, ninth race. Uh, it seems a little more wide open than when these the this sort of group faced each other last time out. So you can maybe take a, a swing or two uh, at, at another price. Let's move on to race number 10 We've got the grade 3 Louisiana in here uh, They will be traveling a, a mile in the 16th We've got older And for me So we were getting some news Emily and We were looking uh, on, on Twitter um, From Marcus Hirsch who, From the DRF who covers a lot of the racing There in Louisiana Was um, giving us updates On sort of some of the horses Who are cross-entered in a couple of these races and There's also some horses that are cross-entered From the Lecompte into an allowance race So we're Sort of trying to figure out where some of these horses are going to show up Like you see Captivating Moon in here And also My Boy Jack who were cross-entered So keep that in mind that you know we're looking at the information But just monitor everything Because there are a, a few horses in these last few races That could show up in different spots And um, do So what was the last The, the, the most recent we saw on, on a couple of horses in this race? Um, that my boy Jack will run in the Colonel Bradley on the turf. So okay. he looks like he's going to run in the 11th and, um, captivating moon with the blinkers on, um, seems 
he says all but certain for the Louisiana. So okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's but, that's what we got. We're just giving you the, the info that we've got exactly. Right. You know, we don't we don't want you to necessarily scratch them out and then the race they they show up in a different spot. But just know that that's the information that we're uh, we're passing along. And, and Marcus it, it does a good job at DRF. He he's very sharp with the information that he's getting. He's just passing along what he has too. So um, I thought this was an interesting race, and it, and maybe it's just because like the 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 fan and me. Always wants to play against Blackberry Wine, like wherever he shows up. This horse who's who's got a ton of talent, and it's and it's like it's unfair to want to play against a horse like this because he has been mishandled. I don't want to mishandled in that he's had he he's crossed the wire first four times. Two of those times he was disqualified from purse money, and he's just a really polarizing horse because any race that he's in, he's got this really really big speed. And he's going to have a say in the race, win or lose, for the most part. Right, but I mean, he he looks compromised to me with Wells Bayou in the yep, field. I agree. You know, I I just do. I think Wells Bayou is just kind of the speed of the speed in here. Um, and I, I think that that compromises Blackberry Wine. To what extent Blackberry Wine compromises Wells Bayou in the overall outcome? You know, one of those win the battle, lose the war type scenarios. Um. So to me, I mean, just talking about those two, I can't use Blackberry Wine with Wells Bayou in the field, nope. recognizing that Wells Bayou is, you know, the the speed of the speed. He's obviously, you know, they're bringing him back after 259-day layoff. They kind of pick the spots. They have him ready. You know, those types of things that there is some positive intent, but you still do have the layoff. He still has to deal with that pace pressure. Um, I, I think, you you know, he's a use in the spot. Just logically, he fits. Um, but I'm going to cover with the, with the two at... Um, Steve Asmussen runners, um, Sonneman, I mean, he's just, he's so sharp right now. I mean, last time I, there's just, you can't really fault the current form that he's in made a good move last time out. He's just recording these strong speed figures. You know, you have a good older horse that's mm-hmm. in form. That's worth a lot. Silver prospector. He could just be a price in here. He's going to find some uh, class relief. It's a much better distance. It's a much better draw for his running style. And I just think he fits in here and just could kind of get kind of forgotten, right? Because he has that, uh, sixth place loss last time out in the Clark, but that's a grade one race. This is grade three. I mean, this is totally different. And again, distance wise, I remember following him last year um, as a three year old, just kind of picking up on some some distance limitations with him yep. as far as him kind of flashing his tail. Um, you know, in the in he would make a big move races. and like open up and then sort of wait. You know, like he he would yeah. have that really quick turn where it'd be like wow, and then he'd sort of like uh, idle a little bit. Right. So I, I just kind of think this is just sort of a spot where he fits, right? You know, there's not many like graded stake races that are at, um, you know, eight and a half furlongs on the main track. And that's sort of like his kind of wheelhouse. So just might get kind of the right the right trip in here. So, um, I, you know, I wish I had a stronger opinion. I'll kind of let the math when it all kind of settles, kind of uh, initiate play. But but pretty much those three for me. I, and I'm I love the the Asmussen horses and I like Silver Prospector. They just both feel like they're getting get, going to get the great trip, and they feel like they're coming into this race in in really nice. Like I liked Silver Prospector's race last time out. It, it doesn't look great, but he was really wide. He tried to tuck in from the outside. He got hooked like three or four deep. He was seventh. He's about four or five lengths off. He actually made a move. He got up to within two, 
uh, but he was he was like six wide as he's making his bid, and you just can't give up that kind of ground all the way around against a, a quality group, even if it wasn't like the strongest grade one ever. That was at least like a grade two legitimate group in the Clark. So that this is no doubt about it. Class relief. His October thirtieth race, his comeback race, was really good. He settled fifth on the inside. He was tucked in, and he was just loaded, looking for room. He angled around nicely, like an absolute pro. I, I love him. In the mile to the mile in the 16th range He's capable of, of getting a win at a mile And an eighth like he did two back but I just think this is No doubt where he's going to be Best as far as numbers Figures talent everything I mean He's right there with everybody else in this group Nobody scares me off of him Wells Bayou is super talented I think he probably will need a race for his best And just like you mentioned with the presence of Blackberry wine I can't See like one of them Taking so far back off the other to where one of the two is just going to get loose on the front end I think if one of the two is just better It's probably Wells Bayou Who has the opportunity of maybe just stealing the race And being better than this group But Silver Prospector so much looks like The horse in here who Is a horse that I'd like to play He's coming off of a race that people would look at and go Oh okay he finished 6th last time out Maybe I don't want to play him as much So instead of being 7-2 to two or 3-1 to one in here He'll probably be 5-1 to one or so And that's just always looking for like a little bit more value When you have a horse who has a race That muddies up their form That you look back at and you really don't think is all that bad That That's really where I sit with Silver Prospector And you know you and I talked Sonneman last time He's just good right now Like he's just really honest He's in nice form He sat 4 lengths off the pace last time out or so uh, He really got going late To split horses and show some nice energy Maxfield is a good animal too So uh, and Sonneman is a horse who can who can run all day too. He, he really feels like it. Like I, I'd like to see him get a little bit more distance and continue to to stretch out. And I think that's what um, Asmussen had sort of said with with this horse and with one of his horses later on that we'll talk about um, in the Lecompte that they're sort of bigger horses who he wants to. Sit over here at fairgrounds and let them go through their series Because he thinks they're going to continue to get better With this series at fairgrounds Just like getting more acclimated with one track Figuring things out Kind of a big horse who's not as easy to kind of move And shift around that will we'll get going So uh, yeah, we're, we're in a lot of agreement here in race 10 Cool Let's move on to race number 11 The uh, Colonel E. Bradley, mile and a 16th This one uh, on the turf course Four-year-olds and upwards So what we saw with this group last time out was Spectacular Gem, your beaten favorite in um, the comparable race on December the 19th. There was a good amount of speed that day. And so the horses who were on the front end got softened up a little bit. And Logical Myth, who was sitting just behind them, ended up getting a nice trip. There were like five or six horses separated by two lengths. Spectacular Gem ends up backing up a little bit that day. Um, it does look like so this will be the race where uh, where my boy uh, more my boy Jack is going to end up running. Um, it, it looks like where uh, where do you start here? Yeah, um, I mean, I think you do again. I like, kind of have to just look at that race and do you want those horses coming out of that race, you know, or not? And um, I mean, to me, logical myth. It's like to use like the Joe Rogan quote, like you got lucky B word, like you got the right. <laughs> yeah. Trip. There's kind of three fell horses together on the wire, and I don't want the horse that got lucky last time out. And that's going to be a short price this time. So I, you know, I'm I'm looking outside of him. 
Um, my boy Jack, I, I kind of liked him in either spot, to be honest. Um, last time out, I mean, it was just such a tough spot to come back off that type of layoff in a grade two race. And it just looked like a prep for him just all around, just from what, what it saw on paper, the way he ran that race. Um, so I, there's some positive intent that he's running here. Um, he's got his form from, from that sophomore season. Um, you could even make some you know, excuse that the in 2019 season was just draw a line through it because he was just never in the right spot to run. But he has some form and, and should be value in here. I think he's he was, what, 20 to 1 in one yeah. of these races. So yeah. he's a good price. And I, I think, yeah, is, is he going to be 20 to 1 in here? Yeah, I mean, he's, yeah, you know, that's definitely that just, a use for me, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's just kind of the right spot. I think there's just so many ways to go. I mean, um, uh, you know, Kevin, when I mean, we talk about he's going to go elsewhere, big agenda. He's not for me. He's just pretty common. Um, but connections are going to take money. And then that grade three sycamore that's kind of jumps out in terms of that speed figure that people get really excited about. But you have to keep in mind, I mean, that those type of distances, 12 furlongs, those speed figures, it's like if that looks like an outlier, it probably is. Um, and he's going to run back against horses that are kind of that more miler type. Um, just a little bit too common. The number five, uh, Maraud, or I don't know how you say that, yeah, but Maraud. Maraud, um, I think he's usable enough in this spot. He looks live coming back off the layoff and has the figures that kind of fit on par, as well as some class, um, multiple graded stakes winners, uh, graded stakes placing. So I think he's kind of sneaky in here. And I just think, you know, coming back off the layoff and taking this spot um, just sort of seems live. Um, oh, yeah. worth, worth mentioning too, um, Mr. Misunderstood is retired. They just announced the other day uh, they've retired the number eleven, Mister Misunderstood. He uh, was just just about to get to a million, but he wasn't able to get there. Uh, Hard knocking uh, horse who won thirteen times. So the number eleven in this race is uh, is out just for handicapping perspective. Okay, I was going to be against him, but um, and I don't think it changes too much the pace. No, no, it doesn't. He would have been middle to a middle to a back of the pack closer. So yeah, he's right, not going right. to right. Um, yeah, I mean, spectacular gem and sailing solo. Um, uh, you know, I'm not really excited about either. They both pace setters um, kind of lack an edge in here, just sort of maybe the kind of the same thing, a minor share. Um, number nine piece achieved is another horse that I think is like really interesting in here. Um, he's lightly raced. He's got upside from his races over the summer where he's racing against the dynamics. He could still hold improvement because he's a lightly raced. Now he's four year old. Um, and this spot, again, it's just kind of the same thing with um, with the number five. Just kind of looks like a spot that's kind of picked out for him to come back in and just should be like really under the radar off those kind of off those, you know, his recent form. Um, Declan Carroll wrote a winner for him um, at Indiana. That was like another horse that was like pretty live. So I think the rider change or rider, um, you know, him getting back aboard. I know he wrote him at, at Indiana actually um it figures in here as well you know we we feel pretty similar about this race the only difference is i I like the the five maraud i'm more i'm a little higher on big agenda for five the two prices you mentioned i'm I'm right with you um and and it's funny because with big agenda for the reason that you um were worried about him i actually i'm sort of on that agreement with you i didn't love his mile and a half race race as much i actually don't mind the races prior to that with him going a little shorter and it's just a i don't love a whole lot else in this race i think he's going to be there i don't want to take him at like three to one but if he's nine to two or above i'm okay with him i think he'll sort of fall into a good spot and he's just been a better horse 
for Maker like slightly better than he was before, and that's all he really needed to do to get in the winner's circle a few times. The most interesting to me oh, is Murad. Let, let me clarify just one quick yeah. one quick thing on Big Agenda. It, it wasn't so much that I thought he was better going longer. It was just the fact that I think the public will gravitate yeah, off completely that agree. Yep. Yep, I know and, what you mean. And, and his speed figures, when he is going shorter, just are below for this level. Okay. Yeah. yeah All right. No. Sorry. And, I, and I'm, with, I'm with you in that because I don't that that was um, that wasn't the race that I I liked as much. So I we're sort of on the same page in that sense. In that I think I just hope he doesn't. I'm not expecting him to get as overbet, but on the connections in here, we he definitely could. Um, Murad, though, to me, is the most interesting if he's like. Over five to one. I just feel like this is a a really nice spot for him, and I'm glad you mentioned piece achieved. He's a no doubt about it use for me in underneath spots. I was, I, I like him. I've I followed him for a while, and he's got a lot of talent. He he might need a race or two to get going, but if he doesn't, you want to catch him right now at fifteen to one. Like that. That's why if you like a horse like this, you want to get on them before rather than after. You know, just like we were talking about with logical myth, it would have been fine to be on logical myth. Last time out at ten to one, are you going to want to be on him this time if he's four to one and and it can't get as better of a trip or finish than he could last time? Doesn't mean he win. He just can't get more perfect of one than he did. Right. Let's get to the uh, the three year olds now. We've got the twelfth uh, and the thirteenth, so we're going to go three year old fillies and then we're going to go three year old colts. The three year old fillies in the silver bullet day first, and there are a couple of. Uh, pretty talented looking fillies in here I mean just to mention super sensational You watch a lot of the woodbine races up there This filly is loaded With talent and she she did it Really impressively in her first two starts Sun Path has raced three times She had some trouble in her debut And since then she was awesome In, in her last two You have little stitches for Tom Amos who knows uh, a, a thing or two about uh, You know fillies he, he's done a really good job With some of these younger three year old fillies on, on this circuit in particular And she earned a big figure When she stretched out She actually went two turns at Delta Downs Last time and she visually Seemed like she should be able to go uh, to go Longer baristas in nice form Looking for a, a third in a row You and I like Charlie's Penny sprinting She's going to try to stretch out in here There are a uh, divine comedy uh, Looked very nice stretching out There there are some interesting fillies in here Yeah um, just going back to the scratches um, Looks like Minute Waltz And Divine Comedy will both run on Monday in an allowance. Um, Princess Theorem um, connections undecided. So just just a couple things to note. Um, the way I kind of see this race is I think the two favorites are the most logical in here, and I really have a hard time getting past them. The number one, Super Sensational, you mentioned she has just been super impressive in both those races. The Glorious Song has been a productive race. They had intentions to, to run her long at Woodbine, but of course the season just kind of took an abrupt end. So the fact that she's going to go longer is, is not, you know, a stab by any means. This was always the plan to kind of build her up with those two seven furlong races and stretch out. Um, so she's well meant in this spot um, and Sunpath. And they just look like just kind of above the rest of this field. Yeah. I can, you know, uh, again, I would have made a, a, a slight, you know, outsider case for a minute waltz, but we're going to have to wait till Monday. So um, it's kind of those two for me. I, I Yeah, it's super sensational. Like visually, she was in her debut. She just loaded, waiting for room, angled around. She looked like she had done it, been racing 15 times, you know, and making her first start as a two-year-old. And then last time out, 
it, it's like oh, okay, so now we're racing. So she breaks well, but she didn't even really want the lead. She ends up just like being faster naturally than most of the field, and is just right there on the front end, like on the inside without being asked. She just has loads of ability. Um, I, I mean, I think she's a, a really really nice animal, and I and I had a hard time creating a knock on Sun Path too I, with you like. The debut, she was slow. Then middle moves wide and and really tries hard all the way. On uh, November the eighth, just th- I guess maybe that's my only concern with Sun Path. Do you have any worries about the slow starts or some of the gate issues? In all three starts, she's had some sort of trouble, either a slow start and then last time out she broke through the gate. Um, no, I think those are legitimate concerns. I mean, you have a horse at a short price, um, and you know, she's going to be outside today. So I, I think that's legit, um, concern. And, and maybe in this case, when you have these two horses and you're looking for some kind of separator, yeah. maybe that's it. And super yeah. sensational becomes a single. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I'm she's okay got a little that. more speed too. Yeah, yeah. She's got a little more speed from the inside. And when, honestly, when you look at this field, it, it, divine comedy isn't a speed demon. And and little stitches. I don't know if she's gonna be sent because she doesn't really seem like she's a quick like that. She's more tac- tactical. If super sensational just breaks from the inside, she could be long gone in here. She could be like just really tough to run down. I was so impressed with her uh, with her races. Um, yeah, and and Sun Path well, to the I mean, outside. And, and then with those scratches, right? Divine yeah. comedy and and minute waltz out. It's like that's. Just oh yeah, sorry. I keep mentioning easier. divine comedy, and, and you talked about the scratch. Yeah, so yeah, it, divine comedy. You're you're right. Like th- those two taking out of this race. Yeah, I think the more we're talking it out, I'm leaning towards upgrading Super Sensational, and that's just like that's the way I I'm and most people I think when you're playing like a late pick four, pick five, anything like that, you have two horses that are going to be similar uh, in the you know similar odds on the board. You don't want to double up there. It just doesn't make sense if they're going to be the same sort of price. If you're going to use one of those two. And um, you know, Prince, like a long shot. That's fine. That's that's a different story here. But if you're just going to be doubling up using two horses that are, you know, in the in some sense going to pay you out the same way, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You got to get take a stand, take one of the two, lean, you know, pick one, and then it gives you the chance to spread out a little bit in the uh, you know in the other uh, opposing legs. So, like Charlie's Penny, we were hiring him last time out. And, um, I, I don't, I'm not like. I don't think he, he, she's poor uh, Him, I say him with Charlie I don't think she's like, she's doesn't have any ability Or anything, she just I know, I think it's just like others a little bit more In here than her Yeah, I mean, she she was kind of You know, you could use the common run line Because they both came out of the glorious song Where it was just, I mean Charlie's Penny, she ran a good race, she was in traffic She made a move, but it's like super sensational Was just kind of on a different level So it's hard to, you know, with that change in distance Here um, to kind of flip flop, right? So we haven't yeah, seen it. You just kind of like you just kind of keep talking through these processes. I mean, as far as little stitches, um, I, you know, I mean, she, she was dominant at Delta Downs, but like this is a totally different monster. And she, you know, that to me, that type of effort, it's like I know she won by open lengths and was like much the best, but just kind of visually, it's like I don't know if there's more. In in her mm-hmm. tank, and yeah. she has to have more in the tank at this level. So you know, I'm 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 just not into her here. And again, I I feel like the more we go through this, it's like this is this is a singleton. Yeah, me too. I think it's it's feeling like a, a super sensational. She breaks well from the inside. She should really be able to dictate things or put herself in a nice spot uh, throughout. So we will turn the page to the 13th and final for Saturday. This is the Grade Three LeCompte. So. 
Okay, some things that we know about this race. I uh, beep beep is out. I believe beep beep will be running in the allowance. Um, it looks like Manor House is also going to be out, and Dynamite also out. Is that what you've seen so far too? Correct. Okay. Okay. So it looks like those three are out when you're doing your handicapping. You don't. I'm not going to be uh, like projecting them in this field here. Um, one note, and just reading through some stuff on um, DRF and some articles and stuff. I, I do think that the one Midnight Bourbon Has some ability but Steve Asmussen Was saying the same sort of thing he said about Midnight Bourbon about Sonneman that we Mentioned earlier that he thinks this is A big horse who's going to be better With some races under the belt as far As you know putting some races together we haven't Seen him since October and that He wanted to get him down here and Let him sit through the series He feels like he'll be better towards the end of the series And I think getting that like the sense from hearing him talk It doesn't seem like this is the type of horse Who's really like a tactical handy horse I think he's kind of a big horse Who you want to kind of get out of the way of And get let moving And so I, I want to see a little more from him He'll probably take a lot of money Because he's coming out of the, the Champagne And the Iroquois uh, Where do you stand with Midnight Bourbon? Yeah, I mean, I, I it's not even so much like I think he's a bigger horse It's like you could look yeah. at him and he's a yeah. two-third horse Like mm-hmm. this, So this is good for him, you know and, and, and those Ellis Park races that he started And those are both two turns And he's been yeah. at the one-turn mile since So this is what he wants to do um, I mean, you know, he's got to kind of beat the favorite here Which I know we'll get to and, and maybe benefits from those races But I just think, you know, with the scratches And just sort of the way this race um, is kind of shaping up It's hard for me to to be neg- too negative on, on him As kind of one of the horses that just kind of makes sense, right? Mm-hmm. That he's been somewhat class tested to this point And has, you know, this is kind of the right distance He's getting back to what, what he's kind of meant to do What he wants to to do is to go those two turns The horse to the outside that'll Likely be your favorite in here uh, Is the number 10 Mandaloon Who I've been really impressed with uh, Emily in both of his starts I really don't have a, a knock on him in his debut He showed us a little a little different Something in both too his debut He had a ton of traffic I, I mean he was like eighth, about six lengths off. He had to back out of a spot in traffic. And then he's, I don't know how he found a way through, like weaving, weaving. He's like waiting. It was a really good ride from, from Giro, who, I, I mean, I don't think of that being one of his strengths. When I think of, of Florent, I usually think of getting a horse out on the lead, uh, being aggressive and settling. I mean, this was a really good kind of th- like coming from the back, weaving in and out. And then in his second start, he just, had a perfect trip. I mean, he was just in the like three off in the two path. Really looked visually like more distance would be fine winning that race. Uh, where do you stand with the number ten Mandaloon? Yeah, no, I think he's super legit. Um, I mean, you mentioned both those trips. I mean, the the November twenty eighth race, the way that he just was really dominant in there. That race has been productive. Um, the three horses that have run back. You've got two next out winners, and then the horse that ran second that day finished third in the Sugar Bowl stakes. So it's kind of like, you know, he's got some good form lines from that perspective. Again, this is just sort of this added ground. Um, you know, it'll be new. So he's doing something new. A lot of these horses are doing something new. But at this point, just doesn't look like that's going to be um, an issue for him. Um, so I just think he's he's really logical in this spot. Yeah. Um, I, I think of... of- you know, so the two favorites, not a ton of knock. For me, the horse that I'm, I'm sort of interested in that I think is is on the move and on the upswing is uh, Santa Cruiser. Um, if there there was a race, if he had like one more race under his belt, I'd really like him in the spot and think about maybe playing him to win. He's going to have to continue to improve, but I do like really 
everything that he's done He he was behind essential quality Undefeated Breeders Cup winner in his debut um, He took another step forward In career start number two I like the fact that he has progressed in every start From six to seven to a mile And then last time out he got the lead and it was more so because he was down on the inside of regular guy who was like his other major contender in that race. And I thought it was a really good ride to just say, hey, we're going to go with this horse and we're not going to let him get away. And he put that horse away and he started to draw off again. I don't think he's by any means a horse who needs to get the lead. He showed us he can pass horses. So um, I think of some of the newer faces Jumping into like to stakes company or or some of the maybe the middler price horses. I'm I'm intrigued with Santa Cruiser. You know, I I mean I I like the progression. I mean that's what you want to see from these horses. But just kind of um, visually, I mean I I don't think much a regular guy to be perfectly honest. Sure. Um, sure. and I the the maiden fields just you know weren't that great. Um, I agree that he's not a need the lead type. But at the same time, I'm not sold that he can take kickback. So I think that they kind of do have to be somewhat poorly placed or at least outside horses from that perspective. Um, and and it just at this point, it's like I know he's been improving with each start. It's it's kind of hard to knock. But um, it's also like he's going to get a test, a class test here. And he's got to kind of show that to me, at least. Um, so I have a hard time getting excited about him today. It's sort of the same thing with Proxy. I think people will maybe want to get creative with this horse because the way his running lines look, but just visually, um, he's been like drifting. He just doesn't switch leads. He beat like, a field of time. four last time. He was not impressive visually. No, yeah, exactly. Like, no. And it's like this is this is like the greatest stakes level. Like that stuff yeah. doesn't fly. You know, like no. you get away with that when you have like you know these smaller. It was what a four horse field last when time. When you're out. better, you can do that. Right. And yep. then just from like an, an overall progression, at least, at least with like Santa Cruz, it's like I can make the case he's impre- he's he's improving with each race from a speed figure standpoint. Mm-hmm. Proxy, it's like he just he paired up his speed figures in those last two races, doing all that stuff that's like not good. And yeah. <laughs> and it's like, where's where's his upside going to come from? And like that just to me, it's like when people are just going to try to get creative, like not for me until he shows that he can like get it together. Um, it's a pass, or especially at maybe a short price, maybe a second choice in here. Well, do we uh, give any look to Arabian Prince, who comes out of the Grade Two Jockey Club, was behind keeping me in mind? He defeated keeping me in mind in his debut. Um, Arabian Prince was, uh, you know, he got he got a nice opening in between horses. He ran. Pretty well in that race. I mean, it's it's it fits with the rest of this group. I'm just, I'm I'm I don't I'm lukewarm on him. I'm I'm not in love. I don't really have knocks on him. What do you think about Arabian Prince? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that you kind of said it subtly. It's like when he gets that opening and then he doesn't win, you're just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah no, I can't back you because it's like he had. It's like you could make some excuses for his trip up to that point, right? Exactly. Like he showed that move and he was mm-hmm. in traffic, and then you're like. Oh, he gets through like this is it, and then it's like then he just kind of idles, yeah. and it's and again you go back to like this is the graded stakes level like you can't idle, you know it's like those those opportunities like when that hole opens margin of error you have the chance to win you've yep. got to show grit and you've got to finish so to me that was like I was like ready to make the case for him and I saw that and I'm like maybe he finishes third today <laughs> like, yeah. you know that that's i gotta see you gotta see the grit at, and, you know with these horses so you know the more and more we talk this one out like and uh, for me i think because of with just the the recency 
Versus like if I had to to go between Mandaloon and Midnight Berman who look like will probably be the two that take the bulk of the money I'm leaning in this one I think more towards Mandaloon who's got the more recent races is drawn towards the outside um, I, I feel like there's maybe even a little more upside at the moment with him Maybe we still haven't quite scratched the surface of what he's what he has and um and then I guess I would my other one would be Santa Cruz or who I mentioned is there anyone else in here um, that you want to mention? No, no, I think that's it. I mean, yeah. I, I feel Mandaloon is pretty much, if, yeah. if it's not him, it's probably those other two horses that we mentioned, but I think mm-hmm. he's, you know, he shows up and runs his race. Um, yeah. This, this is the right spot for him. He's he's good. I, I have a um, a fantasy horse racing league that I'm in. That it's a pretty fun one. And, uh, actually, we talked about Marcus Hirsch. He's in, the, he's in that league too. I've been playing in it for uh, about 10 years now. Um, and I've got my draft coming on Monday. So uh, the league is, um, it's, all great it's all stakes races you get points for you get points for if your horse is finished top five and it goes through the entire year so we draft on you know on uh, on monday and you get points all you know all the way up until december the 31st at the very end of the year and it is a ton of fun it ends up being a pretty big money league because we pay we have auction uh for horses that we buy and um i think i won it like four or five years ago and it ends up being like five grand uh, to win so it's it's a nice like a nice and it's fun because it something that you go through throughout the year you can spend as little as 50 bucks or you can spend a uh, thousand you know as much as you want to, to spend on horses but so this weekend's a, a really big weekend in this particular card at fairgrounds because this is one of those cards where like, everyone who runs well here ends up going really high in that draft you know so like mandaloon yeah. I, like i'm looking at some of these horses in that sense like a horse like a mandaloon if he wins and then bolts himself up as like one of the major contenders or like a, a major triple crown player derby player He's going to be like a horse that's uh people are paying three hundred bucks for, you know. So I'm I'm like I'm I'm definitely uh looking at these races too as like the the side fantasy uh, horse racing player in me too is coming up. So a uh, these are fun cards, they really are. When you we talked about it a little last time too, when you get a card that gives you like. You get a turf distance, you get a turf sprint, you get older horses on the main, you get three-year-old fillies, you get three-year-old colts, you get a little bit of everything. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a good card. I mean, you got 13 races, so. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you, got, you, you got a lot to work with. I was going to say, you can't find something you like on here, then uh, maybe you're not handicapping hard enough. or you, you, You're going to find something that you like. Doesn't mean they're going to win, but definitely uh, plenty of opportunity to sink your teeth into. So, Emily, what uh, what kind of stuff do you have working on right now? Like, what do you have going uh, on the day-to-day? Where, uh, what races are you covering? What tracks? And where can we follow you? Yeah, so um, at Brisnet currently, um, Southern California, but starting next week, we've got Oakland Park opening, and I'll be doing a column for Brisnet. Um, it's going to be free. There's no paywall. It'll be just like last year, kind of going through. Um, it kind of takes, you know, sort of a, a spinoff for what I do at Woodbine, where it's sort of like highlight a race of the day, but I do the full card, and it's like if there's more races, I'll just try to get some information out there and, um, you know, make some money from that perspective. So I'm excited about that. And then, you know, having that back um, at Optic CQ, we always have the race of the day um, from Southern California. And that's just sort of, you know, people that are that are not familiar with optics, like how do you use this? You know, it's so new, it's so different to me. I learn by doing, and so I try to write up the race of the day in a way that it's not like, here's my pick, you know, go bet it. But it's like, here's how I'm looking at the race. Here's how I'm going through the process. So when I'm not there talking you through a race, you at least have some idea about how to how to approach, you know, how to look at a certain race in terms of pace, class, you know, form, speed, you know, all those aspects um, to form your own opinion um, in those races. Hopefully, I, I think that's it as far as what I have going on um, and, at this moment. 
and I saw it on uh, Optics. You, um, they're doing um, like so. All you have to do is register for Optics, and and you're getting like the plots for all of the Kentucky Derby preps, right? Like an analysis and props just for registering. Correct. Yeah. That, yeah. That's really cool too. If you're someone who Absolutely. is, you don't want to. Like, before you use a product, if you don't want to spend a bunch of money, you want to try it out, test it out for yourself. Just like Emily said, there's ways to do so where you get the races of the day, you get analysis from her. And this is a great one too, because these are all big races, big horses where you get tons of analysis from other people all over. So you can like, you can do a probably easier job of matching up what you see in the plots and stuff with, with these horses. Cause you know them very well. So this is like maybe a, a really good spot to jump in um, with something that's free. Like all you have to do is just go register for an account. And you get all of the plot analysis for the the 20, 21 preps. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, kind of just cycling back around to what we said at the beginning. It's like we're following these horses. So it's like you're going to be able to see the development. You'll be able to see the analysis. Like I save all the work that I write. And so I always go back and reference. It's like what did I think on this day about this particular horse? And so you'll have that access. It's like you can go back three preps in and be like, is this horse developing? Where did he start to tail off? You know, I like this horse. What happened? And and all that stuff is there. And I think that's just such a different way of approaching handicapping than, you know, just sort of a, you know, a standard form or standard picks um, as well. Emily, it's always a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, we, uh, yeah, we've been, we've been putting you to work at these fairground cards. We've had like five, six great, six stakes races to talk about the last couple times. None of these just one or two races where, where we go through. We're going through all of these stakes races uh, the last few times. Thank you so much. Uh, everybody heard all the ways that we can follow you along on social media and we can follow your work. And uh, yeah, you and I are talking too. Like for me now with football season ending up a little bit, I'm going to be doing a, a lot more racing stuff here, even on that's what G said. So we're going to try to talk. About maybe doing a, some live stream or two Or some, putting some more content out there Because the racing over the next few months Is going to be really fun It's going to be really good with uh, with the road to the Derby Yeah, absolutely I would love to do that as soon as We can talk about it yeah. very, very, very soon <laughs> Okay, folks We'll be uh, taking a quick break But do not go anywhere We got plenty more here on That's What G Said Good luck to Emily at Fairgrounds this weekend Good luck to all of you out there playing along Always love chatting to the races with Emily So uh, make sure to give her a follow on uh, all the social media platforms out there Another uh, place we want to, to give a follow to OldSmokeClothing.com T-shirts with horse names, polos, hoodies, long sleeves, zip-ups, hats For the big races, the, the famous horses out there We're talking Tis the Law Midnight Bisu, She Dares the Devil, Authentic. You can show the horse racing fan in you. And when you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it is no shipping on your order. Free shipping there on your order. OldSmokeClothing.com We move on to Sam Houston. We're going to talk with Jessica Paquette. We talk about the late pick four for Saturday night from Sam Houston. Following that, I'm going to recap some of my uh, plays and uh, just kind of overall the the conversation with Jessica. So big thanks to Jessica for joining us. Late pick four time for Saturday from Sam Houston. Week two of Sam Houston is going to close out on Saturday night. And uh, to join me 
to talk a little bit about the late pick four at Sam Houston for Saturday. As someone uh, many of you probably know from Suffolk, you, you probably saw Jessica Paquette over there years back now doing some work with Sam Houston and got off to a bang last week. Uh, right off the bat, had a, like a 35, 34 to one shot that she touted uh, and ended up winning and helped a lot of people and blew up the tote board. So she's going to do uh, her best to help us out this weekend. It's it, oh, Jessica's like, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. But like, wait, way to just uh, like set the bar high for yourself right off the bat, right? Well, even a broken clock is right twice a day. <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm sort of winners every weekend, uh, but it was a really <laughs> nice way to kind of get back in the action. Oh yeah, excellent. So, um, give the give the folks out there a little bit of a, an intro to yourself. Like, give us some of your background. I always uh, horse racing is such a unique sport. I always am interested. How do you get into horse racing? And tell us some of the things that you've done. Well, I was at Suffolk Downs from when I was an intern until uh, you know very recently. Um, I was the track handicapper, TV personality, vice president of marketing. So a little bit of everything over the years there. I had the time of my life there. I actually was first introduced really to my foot in the door in racing was through Kids to the Cup when I was a weird horse crazy teenager. <laughs> so I'm forever, forever grateful for Kids to the Cup for kind of getting me in the door because I wasn't related to anyone. There was no kind of real way for an outsider to get in back then. And I've there's nothing else in the world I love. Like I love the racing industry. And uh, it it loves you back. You've done a, a fantastic job being an ambassador, and now you're doing some work over at Sam Houston. And um, I just uh, did some work with Sam Houston a little bit last year. Uh, last year, and we we're going to cover the races here. On that's what G said. Uh, each and every day, in some way, shape, or form, either full card or pick four, pick five sequences. Uh, everything that I've um, that I've learned working with Chris Griffin and some of the folks over there is that they just really. Seem like they want to put out a good product for the customers. They listen to the customers. It was a place that I uh, enjoy doing some work with. Um, what have you noticed just uh, early on in, uh, in in what you've been doing with Sam Houston? You know, it, it feels it feels like a track that would feel like home to me. Uh, they yeah. do a great. Clearly, it's a couple of people doing a ton of work to put on a really great racing product. Uh, the fields have been great. I mean, the cards have been super bettable, both from a handicapper and a fan perspective. So I think there's really something for everyone. They've been, I mean, it's been so fun to get this opportunity to work with them and I'm really enjoying it. So we're going to uh, focus in now on the Saturday card. We're going to talk about the late pick four. And the the, the great thing as a better is, um, you know, nowadays we are all, it's like we, we have more information about stuff. So we're all more aware of takeout, things like that. And, and so it, when you have low takeout wagers at most tracks, it's usually like a pick five or one sequence here or there, which is a harder one to hit. What's great about the, the Sam Houston races in general all of those rolling exotics, the doubles, the pick threes, the pick fours, the pick fives, they're all low takeout. Now the new pick six that's going to start this weekend. You and I are recording this on Thursday, so we're recording this even before the first card of the week went through. And uh, Which is also another one of my things. I'm, I'm, I'm going to continue to pour it on for Sam Houston because I like it. One of my favorite things that I like too, they get the entries out really early, which is nice for us handicappers. And Nick Tamaro does a great job getting the morning lines out on the on the past performances really early. Also, it just it it's a selfish thing that I like to have kind of yeah. enough time. A lot of us are juggling a lot of other things too, and yeah. it gives time to get some really good insight, or hopefully some really good insights yeah. into this. Yeah, and uh, so now, over, and then come you know ruin my opinions. I can Ex- go either way. 
Exactly, but at least it'll give us time to give everybody some awareness about the races and let them know they're out and and hopefully uh, build uh, build some good pools for us to wager into. And we're gonna look at one of those uh, wagers. We're gonna look at the late pick four, right? Okay, so it's pick four time with Jessica Paquette here. We're talking Sam Houston Saturday night. Get those fast performances out for uh, January the sixteenth. We've got yeah the Texas bred uh, maiden special weights. They're gonna go five and a half furlongs in here, and um, you know. It, it's it's always a, a a fun look at some of these horses when they're moving from open company to the state breads back and forth. You get to see um, what that kind of class level is. It's almost like a drop. Sometimes it's a lateral move. So you get some horses in here that have had some starts against open company. Now they're in versus uh, Texas breads. Who are some of the horses you're looking at to start this pick for Jessica? I like number eight, King Congo, kind of one of my stronger opinions. I think he's an interesting first time starter. This Barnes Live with debut runners and. The pedigree-wise, half-sibling to, to a couple of winners, I think he'll turn out to be pretty useful. And sometimes when I'm handicapping, if I really don't like any of the horses that have raced before, for whatever reason, I, they just haven't caught my eye in any way, go with a first-time starter. They haven't disappointed you yet. Of the firsters, I think he's the most likely. I have him picked third, and I have him as a must-use in the late pick four. And I, I completely agree with you. They're just It's not the strongest race in the world. The dam was a winner, small stakes placed. Uh, three siblings, a couple winners that you mentioned Both of them multiple winners, one of them was Texas Bread Stakes place, that's, that's really all it takes In a race like this, is a couple good angles Gutierrez has had a really nice start To the meet, you just have really live connections A couple works over the track, don't need a lot To to be competitive in this group um, I thought the four Has a shot to try to steal the race If he comes out uh, running, if he breaks Alertly, and, uh, and the other Firsters don't break, he's Probably going to have a length or two on the field in here um, I'll throw him in And then you got Texas Prado from the rail There's a couple horses that are like this throughout the sequence That are going to be pretty heavy favorites uh, That I, I don't love I mean he wouldn't be as shocking here But he's burned money a couple times So if I, like if you're someone who likes a few others and, is, and wants to take a stand against him I wouldn't talk you off it I guess it's sort of how you like like the rest of the sequence Yeah I kind of yeah, for a little bit to go into my sequence, I used Brother Robert number seven a little bit as well. Of the horses that have run, I think he's a little yeah. interested. I'm stepping going back to State Bird Company after racing against Open Company last time. Mm-hmm. He, and he was just he broke out. He was a little green, and he he made a little middle move too before faded. Like there was something there. Um, I, I'm probably going to use combinations of uh, of the two you mentioned, Brother Robert, King Congo, and Texas Prado and Imperial Flyer. Those those are the ones that I, I would be you know looking to to use in in my tickets and probably in the exotics. That sounds good to me. Yeah, yeah. Let's uh, let's get on to race number eight. So we've got uh, four year olds and up, which are starting for a claiming price of seventy five hundred or less, uh, or a claiming price of fifteen thousand. Here, they're going to be going uh, a mile. Who are some that you uh, will begin with? Uh, number three, satellite. Again, this is one of my stronger opinions on the card. I think this this race really sets up for a horse that can kind of sit off the pace, make a big move, and this one should get some pace pace to run at. Kind of right to his inside. There, I think two top contenders with St. Louis guy and Paddock Pick, but both of them really kind of they have some speed out of the gate, and I think they could hook up early. There'll be some other some other pace up there, I think as well. And satellite should be able to get a good late run at them. Yeah, with those two possibly shades of victory, uh, it could set up for someone off the pace. St. Louis guy would would probably be if you're looking for like the stronger of the pace types. It's probably him. The two uh, that that come off the pace uh, that that I would maybe be including too are uh, Lethal Move and Southern Thunder. Southern Thunder is just total a wild card. You're going to see a lot of these Lucarelli horses come in, and you they may take a race or two. They may not. I I sort of want to be on them before because if they run really well, then the next time out they're going to be shorter prices. So if you if you like 
some of these horses that come in from Southern California, you're not sure where they stack up, but their price is right, and you think they get they'll get the kind of trip that you know we could see envisioning in here. There's definitely versions of this race where Paddock picks St. Louis guy shades of victory at least go quick. You could even see uh, one or two others showing some speed, like Our City or uh, even uh, Tizona being forwardly tactically placed uh, early on, and, and they could have a bunch. There, so horses like Satellite, Southern Thunder, Lethal Move, who is is probably a little better on the grass, but when you go back and look at some of his turf form too, or uh, is some of his dirt form too, it's actually pretty good. He's just a consistent uh, horse overall, so he he wouldn't be a shock to me picking up some pieces late, especially if uh, if those horses do uh, do hook up early on. So a uh, strong strong Satellite for you, huh? Yeah, I'm going with him, but uh, you've kind of talked me onto Lethal Move a little bit. He, he was one I hadn't really been considering, but you make a good case. Yeah, so um, I just the, like you know, if we're seeing the that that uh, the race shape up that way, then maybe some of those horses that we uh, we think that that are going to get a, a favorable off the pace type trip in leg two of that pick four, which is race number eight. Uh, we move to race number nine. Uh, Jessica, one of the longer shots I think in the sequence that I'm going to throw in uh, in, in this race is the one. Now mind you Mainly because I um, I think there are And it won't be like a single situation for me But I want to be using um, him With a couple others because You know I have, I have some questions about All of the top contenders in here You look at a horse like Add Attention Who has been in nice form but you just don't know When you're shipping in you're coming into a new track You're coming into a new barn like this And you have a question about a horse like Wonders of His Love We haven't seen for uh, a while Hasn't raced since July Good Judgment hasn't been on the track for a while Code Runner is in for 25 after facing Graded Stakes Company I feel like any of those could win But I do have some questions about all of them And now mind you will need to step up But for, for me, this is one of the long shots I'm going to throw in a pick four because he's at least got some good recent form. And I don't know, like, I don't know how much it's going to be tougher, but if those horses don't all show up with their A games and he just shows up with a, a good effort, I think he's got a, a shot in here to spice things up. Uh, give me a couple horses that you like in the ninth. Number six, good judgment. I really wasn't sure what to do with either of the Steve Asmussen horses here. I kind of immediately, I'm not going to lie, I got a little bit seduced by a code runner because I'm a big honor code fan out of a rock hard 10 mare. Like this, there's a lot about this horse that I think I will like physically. However, um, then I, I kind of put a realistic view on this and looked at the past performances. I just, there are enough red flags there that I'm going to look somewhere else, but good judgment. I think is interesting. You look at that last race at Lone Star. That was kind of back in June. Looks like he got a terrible trip. And you wonder with the layoff after that, if he just got a little bit banged up there and got freshened, comes back. If you can overlook that last race, his form's been so good. I think he's sharp out of the gate. And I mean, you see the horses kind of really consistently from Steve's barn really break very well. And I think he'll probably do just that. He feels like he's going to sit a a nice Trip in here so I, I think he's a must Use too in the pick fours um, Wonders of his love is just really Really fast I remember him from a lot of the races Last year at Sam Houston he's the type of horse Who he can clear and He's going to be flying early he's one of those that Will give you you'll get a little nervous if you don't Have him on your ticket because he'll probably have a length or Two but he can stop yep. it just depends On the kind of trip he's uh, he's Getting in here and then Yeah, um, yeah, right. you, yeah go ahead He's one that gets real brave on the lead, right? Oh yeah, yeah. If he gets clear, he'll he'll fu- and like he he's he's got ability. Like he's super talented. He's just sort of one of those speedy horses where if you have to if he has to work for it a little bit early, then it might be tough for him. And so I think it a lot a lot of it for him will come down to a horse like Good Judgment. If Good Judgment just sort of sits off of him, then uh, maybe wonders of his love goes. If Good Judgment can put a little pressure on him and then and then soften him up, he might get the trip. 
in Code Runner, it's it's funny because y- if you just toss Code Runner's races against Stakes Company, his form is excellent, and those and and so you can say, okay, maybe they just um for sometimes we see like bigger barns like this, they they have horses that they want to take shots with. That's fine, and and, and Matt, maybe this is more realistic. It's just. It's so hard sometimes to um, dissect the the Asmussen horses that show up here, and if they are necessarily the most well meant of his horses, or maybe they're showing up here just to see if someone wants to get this horse for for the twenty five thousand dollar tag. Yeah, I think he's going to come up to the paddock with a big flashing red for sale sign. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No doubt Which, about it. I know, with, with that pedigree, wouldn't blame anybody. There's a, right? again a lot to like about that. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see. He's one that I, I'd be really fascinated to see on the grass, but. Yeah, this uh, it's it's always interesting when you have the big barn coming in and you and you're trying to uh, sort of predict the, their intentions here. What we're trying to do with Asmussen in the ninth. Let's get to race number ten, the closeout leg of the pick four sequence on Saturday night. We got the Texas bred maiden special weights, three year olds here, five and a half furlongs. The distance. Who uh, who are some of you're starting with? I went with uh, number six Bonham and number four Sunday Bling. Kind of the same theory. I went handicapping the Texas Bread Maiden earlier on the card. The first time starter has a lot, a uh, lot to like about him. Kind of a solid work tab. First time Lasix, live jockey and trainer combination. Kind of checks all the boxes, and a solid female family as well. I think this one really well meant here. Kind of wonder if he wants to go a little bit longer. I'm not sure if six furlongs is really going to be his ideal distance as things get going. But number four, Sunday Bling, looks like a really legitimate favorite. That looked like an educational debut. Yeah, it looks like he's listed as a gelding since then, so that can always help them focus a little bit better. He, yeah, the old ultimate equipment change, you know. You know <laughs> yep. <a little> hurt anybody. <laughs> I I'm pretty much in agreement with you, and I wouldn't be talking anyone out of uh, singling Sunday Bling here in any kind of sort of late exotics. And and I think because once you get past Sunday Bling, like I'm not as high on policy limit in this spot. I think I just would much prefer using Sunday Bling of the horses who I think are going to be shorter prices. And then once once I get past those two, you're you're doing what you were doing is you're either projecting one of the you know the first time starters, or you're sort of making a case for horses who haven't really run well. It feels like if Sunday Bling shows up, he's just going to be really, really tough in here. He should be. By I mean, by all accounts, he should have had a really educational, good debut, and should move forward off of that. Yeah, and I think uh, we'll see the horse who beat him um, run a, a few days before, so we'll we'll be able to get an idea of if that race comes back really strong, if that com- horse comes back and runs well uh, against winners. So yeah, fun little look at the Saturday night Sam Houston late pick for sequence. Jessica was going to be doing some work for Sam Houston, and uh, she's posting some great stuff on Twitter. Give us uh, your information, Jessica. Where can we follow you on social media and uh, follow along with some of your plays and, and see your work? If you'd like some selections along with some horse and dog photos, because that's about all that's going on in my <laughs> what life. What else do we want, right? Yeah. Right. Checks all the boxes. It's at JM Paquette on Twitter. And also follow SHRP on Twitter. There's some good stuff there as well. Yeah, and uh, we are very excited to do so. It's only uh, week two of the meet now, so we'll have to get you back a couple more times throughout the meet, so we can uh, we can handicap some of these days. And it, uh, what's cool about their meet is it continues to get a little bit bigger. We have uh, in a few weeks we got the big Sunday of uh, ladies of uh, the Sam Houston the big big ladies day race, and it's uh, an awesome card. And then later on in the meet it expands, we even get another day of racing. So there's going to be some four day weeks coming up. So if you like Sam Houston, there's going to be a lot of it on this. Show uh, you can get a lot of Sam Houston Stuff following Jessica and we'll have even more to talk About so thanks so much Jessica Thank you
Looking forward to having Jessica back to talk more Sam Houston. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with plenty more on That's What G Said. Big thanks to Jessica, and good luck this weekend in her handicapping and gambling. Let's uh, do a little recap of my my thoughts on the pick four. So quickly, in the the seventh race, I thought the four, Imperial Fire, was the one to beat. The eight, King Congo, the first-time starter, and the one, Texas Prado, would be the other two I use in the late pick four. But I do think the four is maybe a horse I would even think about singling on a ticket who has the opportunity to get out front and steal the race. In race number eight at Sam Houston, I'm two, three, seven, and eight. I give a, a slight lean towards Lethal Move, who I think is just coming out of some of the better races and has good enough form on the dirt to win this. The two St. Louis guy, if anybody steals the race, it could be him. Satellite is consistent on the step up in class. And then the eighth th- uh, Southern Thunder, as I feel, uh, is kind of a wild card in here. So seven, two, three, eight for me in race number eight. In the ninth, I thought the one, now mind you, you know, if you toss that that race just a, a three starts back, going long, going a mile, the sprint races are really good. This guy is consistent. Is this a big step up? Yes. But is he capable? Is he in nice form? Does he have a little more tactical speed than it seems on paper? Yes, yes, and yes. Give me now, mind you, along with some of the others. I do think Wonders of His Love is really, really fast, and he has the opportunity to steal this race. The Barn is actually four for their last 17 off of this kind of a layoff. A four for their last 14, five for their last 17 off the 61 to 180 day layoff. And Wonders of His Love is proven here at Sam Houston. Good judgment will try to sit just off of him. The two at attention is sort of the wild card. They're seeing where he fits. And then what do you do with Code Runner taking the big drop down in class for Steve Asmussen? I've got the 5, 1, 2, 6, and then just major question marks. Are we going to try to play against the 7, depending on how we approach some of the other tickets? In the 10th race, the 4, Sunday Bling, looks like the one to beat for me. Was 5D battling for the lead, now cuts back a first-time gelding who comes out of a race where the winner, Texas Bad Boy, just stepped up and beat winners and did it impressively. So the race he's coming out of is good. He looks really, really tough. I'll throw the two a hunk of heaven on some tickets who's, who had a much better start in his, his most recent try. So maybe he's just improving. He's showing a little more speed. Second off the short break from... Open company back in with Texas Breads. Doesn't have to beat much to to compete with this group. The same case for Sunday Bling after facing Open Company. Now back in with uh, now in with Texas Breads. The one policy limit would be an underneath horse who I'm I'm okay taking a shot against on the win end. The other one for me would be would probably be the eight. The the first timer who just wouldn't have to be much at all for a barn that's capable first time out. A couple winning sibs. Four two one eight. In the 10th, that's Sam Houston on Saturday night. That is your Sam Houston late pick four. Big thanks again to Jessica for helping us out. Now uh, we're going to move along. We're going to talk a little Cobra Kai. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. If you have not seen season three of Cobra Kai, I'm going to talk some big picture overall thoughts on the the season. We're going to do some spoilers. I will also have somebody joining me next week to recap uh, the episodes a a little more in depth, but just big picture thoughts on Cobra Kai coming up. So spoiler alert, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. We're going to talk Cobra Kai right after this commercial. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A Candles.com, all natural soy wax candles. These are healthier, longer burning, 
better for you. If you're someone that likes candles, give this small business a try. CERACandles.com and a promo code GINO that'll get you 10% off your purchase. These are all natural, no toxins, no carcinogens, no pollutants, handmade from a local small business that just loves candles. They wanted to create the perfect candle, and now they have over 25 different scent options, seasonal scents, scents for every mood, every time, three different sizes. This is a great gift, or if you're just someone who's into candles, try this healthier option that's going to give you a better bang for your buck, and, and you enter the promo code GINO, gets you 10% off the purchase. Sarahcandles.com, C-E-R-A candles.com. So let's just give some uh, quick overall thoughts on Cobra Kai, some of the things I liked about uh, about season three, or just some, uh, some of the things going on. So we have season three picking up with the, the what happened after the big uh, karate riot, the big brutal fight in West Valley High School. And what has happened now is the the reputation here of Miyagi-Do Karate, the one that LaRusso, the karate kid now runs, is completely tarnished. Because this was brutal. This wasn't the only self-defense karate that Miyagi uh, preaches. This fight is all over social media, it's all over YouTube, and some of these kids in in high school now have become like cult, cult celebrities and cult stars. Not the case for Miguel, who's in a coma. When we open season three. And he's got a dream. Where he's in a, a big fight. And. It's 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 sad. It's jarring seeing Miguel in this. Uh, in this state. Throughout the first episode. We pick up a couple weeks after the school bra- brawl. Where uh, Johnny. Is uh, in a bar getting drunk. Miguel's in a coma. And Robbie who put Miguel in the coma. Is on the run. Nobody knows where Robbie is. So. Johnny is a mess. He looks like how he looked at the very beginning of season one when he is just completely down. He's a complete drunk mess. He's getting into fights at bars. He gets tossed in jail. Things aren't going much better for the LaRussos. The daughter, Sam, gets suspended for a few weeks. They, Daniel and Amanda, Mrs. LaRusso, go to a PTA meeting. Everything is just directed at them. They're calling them karate gangs. It feels like a karate footloose is one of the things Daniel says. And it's starting to impact the LaRusso Auto. Their business is being impacted now because they have a bad reputation. People aren't going there and uh, and buying cars from them, them anymore. And at school, the rivalry is not over with between Cobra Kai, between Miyagi-Do. And so much that one of the main characters, Aisha, her parents enrolled her in a private school. They're selling their house. Sam now has mental damage. She's got PTSD. She keeps having flashbacks of Miguel falling, flashbacks of her big of the big fight, of the big interaction with Tori. And towards the end of the episode of episode one, we see Johnny going to visit Miguel in the hospital. He, he tries to put, steal a lab coat and pretend like he's a doctor, but his face is all messed up, and he just quickly, that's not going to work. So instead, he just bangs his face, and he tries to get in the uh, the other way as a as a patient who needs uh, who needs medical care. He goes and tells him, Gal, that he failed him. And we see Daniel now, the karate kid, Daniel LaRusso, visiting Cobra Kai. He's looking for Johnny, and he ends up finding Crease. And we get one of these early standoffs between 
Reese and and Daniel, and Kreese says it's inevitable that they will be come to, coming to blows at some point. He says, but this time Johnny and I will finish it once and for all. And that's when we see Daniel. He goes and he finds Johnny, and he says, hey, we got to go find Robbie. So the two of them are going to team up. They're going to go try to find Robbie. And at the very end of episode one, we see Miguel. He opens his eyes. He's out of the, the coma. The thing I love about this show is it's super nostalgic, super easy to watch. It's cheesy, but you get these real moments where there actually is drama. It. What's nice about this show, too, is I, I saw this in a couple different places where I was reading recaps. The fights lead to consequence. It's not like, oh, a big fight happens and then the next day everything's fine. The people get injured, they get suspended, they get expelled, they're on the run. It's not like in some of the movies that we see or sort of like comedy or classic movies where there's no consequences for all of everybody's actions. In this, you get consequences. And I think season three had to be a little bit of a slower pace. It couldn't just be fight, 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 fight all the time. We've already been set up for a, a season four. So we know that's coming. And we're getting each of these characters with their individual struggles. Sam traumatized and thinking about Tori. Robbie's on the run. Miguel is in a coma. He's trying to learn how to walk again. Johnny struggling with the fact that he's the reason why Miguel can't walk. His son's on the run because of him. You've got LaRusso's who are losing money in their dealership, and now Daniel's starting to think, was this a good thing getting all the kids into karate? Look what he's done. So we... It's it's good. It's It continues to be funny and lighthearted, but you get all of these characters struggling as they continue to move on. You see that they're all really affected by what's what's been happening. They're, the students are traumatized, and they're, everybody's trying to, to kind of take a deep breath and gather themselves while also move forward and like in this very real war between these warring dojos Miyagi-Do and uh, Cobra Kai and uh, this was another thing I, I liked in reading from uh, one of the, the Roger Ebert review it said that the show is no longer just a story of Johnny fighting against the ingrained values that led to his failure it's emphasis on pulling everyone together and preparing for the next big fight so so what that does is it's going to make the show better overall. You're going to get a lot of holes filled in. It just is a little bit slower pacing. It's not boom, 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 fight, cool moment, immediately, cool moment, cool moment. There's just a lot more of filler, things where you need to fill in the blanks, where you see these characters struggling on their own, which is not as fun as a, a big fight, right? But it's necessary in, in telling a really good story. Robbie, you could tell he didn't really have a lot going on this season. He was off screen a lot. We know what his journey is. And then we see him at the end. So we can see Robbie is being groomed to be the next great heel of this story. And for him, you know, the allegiance switching sides from good to bad was what we, I guess, will inevitably have to see which side he chooses. What season three tried to do with Crease was what we saw in seasons one and two when it was giving more background about Johnny who he was, we thought Johnny was a bully, and then it showed his side of the story where we're going, oh, you know what? Maybe Johnny isn't really that much of a bully. It tried to do the same thing with Kreese. He's a little creepier, and he's still a little more genuinely evil, 
but you do feel a little sympathy towards him, just not nearly as much. Like, you can fully get behind Johnny. It's not the same with Kreese. But they are humanizing him a little bit. And then, the last couple episodes of the season really pick up. We get one of those awesome battles. The fight scenes are so good too. And some of the things I was reading. What makes them great is. You don't get all these cuts and edits in the fight scenes. They're just one big flow. You could tell. You see the the, the all the moves. The choreography. The actual good fighting going on. It's not. Oh there was obviously a cut. Edit. Cut. Edit. Cut. Edit situation. So. I mean I saw some negative stuff out there. I'm. I'm. I really liked it, you know, going through one of the last uh, reviews, this was from some stuff from the IGN review, that uh, it says a balance of triumphant and corny, perfect blend of drama, uh, drama, dramedy, dramedy, drama, comedy, and stand-up cheer moments, we get season two ending with that big brawl, and Miguel falling off, (laughs) some, some of the things that, um, that this review said the show's success and its ability to re-examine seemingly bad characters from the original films and make you emphasize with them. You get the aftermath of the big fight, Johnny's self-hatred, Miguel's recovery, Kreese's influence, and Miyagi-Do redemption. We get Daniel's trip to Japan. We get a crazy home invasion scene. We get Johnny learning, uh, Johnny helping Miguel learn how to walk again. We get Miguel helping Johnny with his Facebook profile. We're going to get into that again much more next week. That was one of my favorite things about it. When Johnny's responding to Facebook from Allie. And he's trying to make a profile. And he writes in all caps. And Miguel calls him a serial killer for typing in all caps. I mean, there, for me, the relationship with Johnny and Miguel. I mean, that's what it's been from, from day one of this show. Yes, this is the Karate Kid nostalgia that it's playing on. But it's the relationship between those two. It's the moment when Johnny goes to save Miguel from getting his butt kicked in in season one, episode one. And seeing Johnny now come back and have to help Miguel get on his feet. I mean, some absurd stuff when he's literally trying to help a guy who can't walk and like pushing him on the floor and making fun of him. It's just insane. But, but Zapka is incredible. For a guy who hasn't been acting a whole ton, I mean, the... The moments that he has in here, and like how he can go from being cheesy to being, you know, you could tell he's being over the top tough guy to being very, very raw. He just does a phenomenal job. He impresses me every time I, I see him, and every time he has those moments where, or those scenes where he's by himself and he has to look in the mirror, or he's eating or you know building the Facebook profile. Those are just great, great stuff. So. You know, season four, we have a lot to build towards now with the uh, the big tournament coming up in sort of a winner-take-all situation. And I'm going to get into a lot more of, of all of this next week in specifics. We'll go through some of the episodes, some of our favorite things all the way down. I just wanted to get some, some general thoughts out there right now on Cobra Kai season three. Season four is going to be on the way coming up soon. You know it's on the way coming up soon. A shameless recap Episode 4 of Season 11 of Shameless. So, uh, Shameless fans, if you've been watching the show, we're going to talk about that now. If not, spoiler alert, big recap coming up for Episode 4. So, after a couple weeks off where we were getting those Hall of Shame episodes where they're not new episodes, they're just 
um, like a recap of of each character's arc throughout the years of uh, of Shameless. Now we're back to new episodes of Shameless season eleven, episode four. Frank wakes up to some gunshots, and it's the Milkoviches. They have moved in next door. They've infiltrated the house with the old lady next door as uh, Mr. Milkovich has basically become her lover in uh, a way to squat in their house. It's it's really funny how badly Frank hates them. Like, for someone who doesn't hate a whole lot of people, it, like, people like him, right, you would think the Milkoviches are, he just badmouths them. He talks about them being trash, and he's in, him and Liam are looking over at the Milkoviches as they're moving in next door. Liam is scared. He doesn't want to be uh, what he refers to as a BLM figure um, that they're marching for. And Mickey is a little conflicted because, you know, he's living with the Gallaghers now. He's obviously married with, to Ian, but this is his family. So he, he hates his dad. He knows they're, they're garbage. But at the same time, he sees things and he, he kind of misses little things. In fact, he talks about uh, one, one of the Milkoviches is just shooting a gun around. And he, and he says, haven't you guys ever played I Spy, You Shoot? Yeah, you know, just the kid spies, you shoot. And the Gallaghers don't don't really understand the uh, the Milkovich humor there. He, he's got some good lines, though, in this one, Mickey. He says, get off your high horses. Anyone here that feels that they're the product of good parenting, raise your hand. And they look around, and uh, Gallaghers can't say a, a whole ton about that. Throughout the episode, we see Carl, who really loves his partner, um... He has he's become much more uh, into his his partner than his first partner, who didn't really want to do any police work. This one is sort of the complete opposite. She is a badass, but she seems like she's just going a little too far. She's not going after big criminals. She's kind of making fun of and embarrassing some of the uh, the local neighborhood. Criminals that aren't really bad people, so um, yeah, she's she's definitely different than what we saw last time. The Tammy story arc in this episode is great. So Tammy wants to go get brunch with one of her old teachers, who she's very excited to tell Lip about. Lip is not interested. He talks about how brunch is a scam, and you know, just a, a very Lip response. Yet they seem to be planning a, a brunch coming up. And Ian is feeling depressed about not having a job. So Mickey, who's uh, the security and uh, money runner now for Kevin V, he says, hey, Ian, I'm going to give you a job. You're going to work for me now. Ian doesn't think it's a good idea for them to work together. He, uh, Mickey says, don't worry, they're not. You work for me. <laughs> so Frank and Liam continue to hate watch the Milkoviches. They're plotting some some way to get them out of there. Liam just wants to move. Frank wants to stop them and to get them out. Mr. Milkovich looks over to Frank and says, What makes the Gallagher so much better than the Milkoviches? Here's Frank's response. You mean other than daily showers and the lack of swastikas? We're better than you. <laughs> Mr. Milkovich then says, quote, The only thing you're better than is the blacks, Mexicans, and the Jews. He also says that right in front of Liam. So yeah, just give you an idea of who we're dealing with here with the, those Milkoviches. So Frank is trying to actually get Mandy and Mickey to fight against their own family. They kind of look at Frank and say, like, we, you know we are Milkoviches, and this isn't going to work. 
They're like cockroaches. They infiltrate. They multiply. So Lip goes off to brunch with Tammy, and he can instantly see that Tammy and her old teacher had a fling. They're flirty. He calls her Tam-Tam. They're finishing each other's sentences. There's a moment where they're singing, like a full-on song at the table, and Lip is... His responses are phenomenal. Just dying laughing at Lip. Just so great here. And this is all while Debbie and V are getting the girls ready for Little Miss Southside. V's got Gemma. Debbie's got Franny. So they're like the crazy moms who really are pushing their girls to win. And they want to win more than the girls do. No doubt about it. Frank continues trying to rally the troops to get everyone to help them get rid of the Milkoviches. And Carl just isn't liking how hardcore his new partner is. She seems like she cares too much about the little the little guys. And she's not she's not being she she's going after people who aren't really doing anything wrong. The friendly competition between Debbie and V with the girls gets a little out of hand as they start trash talking each other. Um V in and Debbie really sort of sabotage the uh, the other girls' chances. Ian and Mickey are shopping for equipment for their new gig to make them look a little more legit. Ian's worried he doesn't want Mickey just walking around with guns, so they end up purchasing fatigues so they can look the part, so they're going to be decked out in military gear. Carl and his partner end up busting a drug house, and Carl knows a lot of the guys at the drug house. He knows a lot of them. They're not bad guys. He starts to explain to his partner... Look, if it's not them, it's going to be someone else who's worse and is more dangerous to the neighborhood. The partner says, okay, pick two of them and we'll arrest those two. And so Carl's able to get a couple of his friends off. As Lip just is sitting at brunch, hearing stories from this teacher who is just infatuated with Tammy, continues to roll his eyes, just great. And Kevin... And Liam and Frank, they're plotting on how to get rid of the Milkoviches. Liam just keeps wanting to move out. Kevin wants to burn the house down, even though they are all living right next door. Frank thinks that they can force them out. Back at the uh, Little Miss Southside pageant, Franny's got a blonde wig on. And Deb and Deb and V just continue to go at it. Franny ends up drawing with Sharpie all over Gemma's face. V comes in in the middle of Franny's interview, and Franny is just terrible. She's awful in the interview. She's not answering questions. She won't sing, which is her talent. V runs in and says, oh, time's up. She needs to get out of here. So they're just being so petty with each other. Frank and Liam go to ask the Nation of Islam for help, and they are getting ready to come help them get rid of the Milkoviches, and as soon as they hear the name Milkovich, they get scared, they get nervous, they turn around and they, oh, we gotta go pray. So, uh, the, uh, the nation of Islam will not help Liam get the Milkoviches out. <laughs> when V and, and, and Debbie just keep going at it, it's, it's good, it's good. And then we get back to Mickey and Ian dressed in their fatigues going to pick up Kev's money. They think they're gonna be picking up a ton of money. It's, very little so they're not going to be getting paid as much as they need as they were expecting and this isn't really going to be the type of business that Mickey was expecting okay so so Kevin and Liam and Frank have a new plan they're going to go talk to the neighbor 
Miss McGurdy, the old woman who the Milkoviches have just infiltrated. But they need a distraction first. They want us to get her to talk and to say that, you know, she's been um, sort of kidnapped by this family. So, uh... Frank and Liam try to sneak in Liam gets in and he gets a video of the older woman and she starts talking and she's talking all like sexually about how Mr. Milkovich has been pleasing her it's just very disturbing very disturbing the reason why they're distracted it's because Kevin has printed out a bunch of pictures of things that Nazis and racists would like like uh, the Confederate flag and swastikas, and he's just got these pictures printed out, and he's burning things one at a time with the with his little lighter. And they are all, the Milkoviches are just kind of sitting there um, looking, and they, they said, this doesn't really bother us. Real racism is in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls. You can't burn that dude, which is just a phenomenal response. So... Lip and Tammy get home from brunch, and they're talking about brunch, and Lip is sort of laughing, you know, he's like, you obviously had a, and, you know, some sort of relationship with your teacher, and that's when, when Tammy says, yeah, it was a serious relationship, it was beautiful, nobody got it, just all the things that a young girl would say when they're involved with a much older man, and all the things that the older man has obviously told her, and she's had ingrained in her brain, so... When Tammy's teacher comes by later to visit with his fiance, Tammy realizes finally that this dude is a creep, this Marcos, because his new fiance is only 17. She has not finished high school. She still has a semester left to go. She's got braces, and I mean, it is obvious this dude is the biggest creeper in the world. The girl is repeating the same lines that Tammy was just repeating to Lip. And Lip's laughing, and uh, Tammy's finally seeing how big of an idiot the guy was, and she's realizing that she has some issues. But keep in mind, Lip isn't getting too hard on her, because remember, Lip has been involved in something similar with the older woman that he was in love with, the teacher. So, Carl, he's not really feeling great. The shift is over. He, um, What he ends up doing is... The the lady, Miss June, who his partner uh, just embarrassed, took her wig, took her dress. Carl actually takes the stuff and goes and gives it back to her. And he tells her, hey, just go to a different corner where we don't patrol as much. You can sell your cigarettes over there. He doesn't want to embarrass these people who he knows they're small-time crooks and they're not really bad. Because the alternative would be much worse. Debbie and V get to plead their cases for the girls at the Little Miss Southside. V is actually very passionate in her uh, in her speech, but the the two women end up going after each other, the sex offender and the drug dealer. Although it doesn't all turn out bad, because V, when she's trying to play the race card in her speech, she ends up getting getting discovered. Someone who's involved in local politics thinks V is passionate and is thinks this could be, she could be someone who could help them out, so she sort of gets offered a job to get involved with local politics. Ian and Mickey, when they're going to drop off some of the money, they walk into this marijuana grow op that's just got big weed plants all over, and they get offered a job to running security and helping run money for this place, and they're going to get paid $1,000 a day, which they just, 
are so shocked by and love. And the Milkoviches have now spread. They are on the other side of the lot. They've brought in more family. They have taken over. They've got Milkoviches on both sides all around the Gallagher's now. Of course, uh, neither Gemma or Franny wins the Little Miss Southside. It was actually a girl who had cerebral palsy who came in from a different country who wins. But hey, V may get a job out of this. And Tammy finally sees her teacher as the creep he is and realizes that she too has a, you know, some issues she has to deal with. Carl trying to be the good guy cop. And as we close the episode, Frank looks out the window and he sees the Milkoviches doing something that actually makes Frank say, Oh God. <laughs> that might be my favorite part of this episode in just how much Frank is bothered by them. We know that if Frank is bothered by something, he is no prude. This, it, these people are terrible. They're awful. They're horrible. A fun episode in our final season of Shameless. Probably only about ten more left uh, left to go on, uh, on the final season of Shameless. Hopefully we can get Fiona back for an episode or two. I need that. I need some Emmy Rossum to return. That's going to do it for this episode of That's What G Said, folks. A big thank you to all of our guests. We had a ton to talk about with Don Landis. We talked Brown. Scott Shapiro talked NFL Saturday with us. Eric Toflin talked NFL Sunday with us. We had Saturday Fairgrounds with Emily Golickson. We had Saturday Sam Houston with Jessica Paquette. Love all of you joining us for another episode. Thank you so much. We will be back early next week. And the train will continue rolling on here. Whatever's going on in the world of sports, you're going to hear about it on That's What G Said Podcast. Joey Cleveland, close this thing out.